Welcome to On the Road with Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from the Idle Chatter family of podcasts. I invite you to jump in and join me. Along the way, we will get to know some really interesting people and their stories. Be it farming or firing orders, these folks are passionate about growing things or making horsepower. So let's get this bad boy fired up and head off to destinations unknown. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to On the Road. I want to thank you for joining me on the road today. And the guest we're gonna that that's on the line waiting to talk is gonna be a man that is really after my own heart in so many ways, because he flies both in the air and on the ground. And when he's on the ground flying, he is a drag racer. But you know, we've had drag races on the show before, and uh, but not. Uh, not of this level only matt hagan who was a top fuel funny car racer was of that level but now we have we have a a a similar type of drag racer and we're going to have a person who operates and not but matt hagan didn't own his car he was driving for somebody but this gentleman it owns his own top fuel dragster so with great acclaim i welcome mr scott farley to on the road welcome scott to on the road hey ray how are you doing it's really great to be on today oh thank you so much and you know like you know, you being a drag racer me i'm i'm gonna say i'm a i was a mickey mouse drag racer with eight second car all right so this guy i mean i'm not pleased no i'm not putting myself in your league all right by no means but it was touch and go today right because i this is this is you're in we're what in ohio right now and i'm in new jersey i'm i'm in southern indiana right oh, southern across indiana. the river from louisville Louisville, Kentucky. Okay, Southern Indiana. I'm in New Jersey, and out of all days, right, for the AT&T telephone connection that I have to link through for this, that they had some kind of was down throughout the half the country so this was touch and go so this was like uh like thrashing to put the engine together all right uh, right before the, the the final right because you heard a valve so this is going to be uh this is the well we're two drag races so we're used to it, but you're more used to it than i am but i want you to please tell the audience a little bit about you because I, I said that you're a pilot but you fly an md11 you fly a real plane so tell us a little bit about that please all right, I'll tell you about the MD-11, but one thing to say about your eight-second racing. Let me tell you, the, I've, I've done the eight-second, I've done a 14-second car, and now I've done the top fuel dragster, and I have respect for anybody that comes out and actually gets their car on the track, whether it's an absolute factory stock Honda Civic, a junior dragster, or anything in between, to really get out on those lights and go down the track um, we're all kind of a family that really uh, shares a lot of the same things and same dreams. So um, it's not Mickey Mouse. You said Mickey Mouse, and I'm 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 here to say that you've been out there, and an eight second car is a pretty serious car. Well, thank but, you. <laughs> it's not serious as yours, buddy. You know. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's true, but it, the the heart is still there, and. Uh, it, 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 it's a lot of similarities except for the crazy sound and speed. But to your first question, uh, flying MD 11s around. Uh, yes. Uh, I fly for UPS. I've flown for them for 23 and a change years will be 24 years in September. 
and uh, flying flown the MD all around the world. Uh, I've flown several aircraft for UPS. The majority of my time has been in the MD-11, both in the right seat and then now in the left seat for the last four or five years. I'm going to just interrupt you, Scott, for a second, because I've heard that term. So as a a pilot, the left seat is the pilot and the right seat is the co-pilot? Those are several terms like that. So the the left seat, uh, you'll hear pilot or you'll also hear captain okay um you'll hear uh pilot in command as well so they're they're, they're all kind of interchangeable terms but the the la- the buck stops with the person in the left seat okay. the captain pilot in command i sign for the aircraft and i make the agreement with the company that says hey i've looked at the paperwork you guys say the flight's safe i say the flight's safe we're gonna go and we're gonna fly from Anchorage, Alaska to Shenzhen, China today, and everything's going to be okay, barring mechanical weather or something that happens, and we will work together and deal with that if that comes up. So you have to actually sign off that you accept the plane then, huh? Yes. That's a physical signature. A physical signature in an aircraft logbook and then an actual signature on the paperwork that's specific to today's flight with today's airplane and what's broken on it or not. Um, the, the airplane has a lot of redundancy. The MD-11 is 200 feet long, 170 foot wingspan, has three engines and many, many, many redundant systems that go with the hydraulics and the air and the electrics and everything that goes with it, just like passenger airplanes. In fact, all the MD-11s we have were passenger airplanes before they were retired and then we got a hold of them converted to uh, cargo okay so they have, do they have windows the windows have been taken out and aluminum panels have been put in their place okay. but if you look across the side of the aircraft you can see the outlines of where the windows were it's the physical rivets that hold in the windows that you see on the side of your 737 767 with delta or american or spirit or whoever right, um, right. they literally they literally pull those rivets out and put in aluminum panels and uh, that t- takes the place of those windows okay so so now you've been flying for, you've been flying big jets in and in the left seat for five years five or six years so that's good you're the captain but let's turn back now all right because we established yeah. and then we're going to revisit this because we're going to go back and we're going to go back and forth all right so uh is that so now you live you physically live in connecticut correct but that your that's yeah. your official address but you are right now in indiana because you fly out of a hub in indiana correct yes uh, ups's main air hub is louisville kentucky about 20 minutes away on the on the kentucky side across the river and uh, their operation flies overnight sorts that come in and arrive sometime around midnight and go back out in the morning from all over the U.S. and all over the world. And then also there is a, a daytime sort that's for second day air stuff that is on a little bit slower and more relaxed time frame. Uh, but the bulk of our flying is the fly-in later in the evening with that package from Los Angeles that has somebody's big mortgage paperwork that's really critical to get to New York City and get signed and notarized and handled. We'll fly that to Louisville. It'll change planes and go to New York, and it'll be on their desk 
at eight in the morning the next morning. Wow. Well, it's amazing. So now more importantly than the mortgage, all right, you must be flying a lot of guys hot rod and drag race parts in there. You call up Summit or Jigs and we say, we'll overnight this to you because we're going to the track tomorrow. So that's probably right. There's probably lots of times you got those parts in your plane. We are helping people race. We're we're racing across the night to help people. All race right, the day, you know we so. we, we oh, like yeah. that, right? You know, you're chasing, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're chasing, you're chasing the sun. So I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that have ordered parts overnight and they actually and you had a drag race, a fly empty. I mean, how, how does it don't get much better than that? But now, you grew up in Texas, though, if I remember correctly, right? Yes, born and raised Fort Worth, Texas. Now let me ask you something. This has nothing to do with drag. How come you don't have a Texas accent? Well, if you well, want me to have one, uh, yeah, I can yeah, go right yeah. back to okay. it. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, so uh, so this guy's all hat and no cattle. You know what I'm saying? He's got the big Texas. <laughs> yeah. I still have I, I have a Texas edition Chevrolet truck in my driveway in Connecticut, and I found a flagpole in the, on the end of the driveway, and there is a Texas flag okay. hanging in Connecticut. <laughs> all right, good, good. All right, so that, oh, yeah. but but it's really a Chevrolet, right? Isn't it a Chevrolet, not a Chevrolet? It, it's a Chevy. It's a Chevy. I got me a Chevy. Chevy truck. Yeah. So truck. now, so now, how did you? So you grew up in Texas. Was anybody in your family a, a pilot or a drag racer? Uh, neither. My mother was a medical technician. She worked in the lab in a hospital, uh, come take your blood right. and then do the blood work and things like that. And my dad was, he's, uh, retired now, but he was an engineer and he worked for all sorts of different engineering companies okay. as a quality control engineer. And once I got into aviation, he was like, wow, Scott, you've had the same job for a long time and you moved to these other jobs by choice instead of getting laid off. I'm going to look into aviation. Yeah. And he actually got uh, in with Boeing. There's a wire and cable like the electrical wires yeah. in an airplane, a wire and cable plant north of Dallas-Fort Worth. And he went to work there and worked there for 15 years oh, wow. and then retired. So he actually kind of followed me in aviation, which was kind of ironic. Well, that's amazing. Now, um, I would be remiss if I, so I, I'm, thank God I'm assuming that they're still both with you, right? They're both still alive. Your parents? Uh, my mother has passed, but okay. my dad is, uh, my dad is still in Fort Worth okay. and he has his camper and he goes out camping and, okay. uh, he, he is, uh, amazed with the craziness with the drag racing they were not not super excited about it uh, when i was a youngster and i actually dropped out of college because i had to pay for college or for flying lessons and uh i was working full-time as a mechanic and going to university of texas at arlington in the evening and when the flying bug hit it was like something's got to give and so uh, we stayed with the mechanic thing. Okay. M- mechanic. Yeah. And that was a Chrysler dealership, I think, correct? Yes. Uh, in the mid-80s, I got hired as a mechanics helper at a Metter Chrysler Plymouth, a dealership that's still open to this day. And uh, they hired me to help sweep floors and help the one engine repair guy that was do the, the big engine work, about, you know, about right. jobs, pull, pull motors, uh, you know, big, bigger stuff. 
And he went from flagging 50 hours of work per week to 110, 120 hours a week. And after about six or seven months of that, the shop foreman came over and said, hey, do you have any tools? And I said, no. He goes, if you could go get some tools, I will give you that stall over there and put you to work. And to the uh, guy that I was working for, to his dismay, uh, I ended up with, out any ASD qualifications or anything, I was just doing heavy engine repair stuff side by side with him and the dealership capability. It was a small dealership at the time. Uh, its capability went up and because there were two engine guys now and I was the crazy Chevrolet guy that worked at a Chrysler dealership Everybody. Uh, <laughs> uh, in my younger years. But now let me just, I just was you telling me the question, I'm not the question, the question came to my mind when you were telling me the story, but you were a car guy. How come you had no tools? Uh, I, I, dad had some tools in his garage and I was still living at home and. Okay. You used his. And, and things were pretty meager when I was growing up. Okay. Great, great parents, but we did not have a great family life, great <laughs> raising. But there, there was not a lot of extra money. Okay. Um, I, I was paying for my college. Yeah. And then when I decided to do the flying lessons, I paid for the flying lessons right. from the dealership. So right. uh, how the, long, the mechanic. How long did you work at the dealer? Uh, right at four years. Wow. So you must have, you must have pulled a, did a lot of head gaskets on 2.2 Chryslers and K-cars. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So, yes, the... The K car was fantastic. I don't don't like to talk bad about things, but the uh, the the some of the Chrysler stuff that came out in the mid '80s with the front wheel drive yeah. and the 2.2 liter had some real growing pains. Yeah, and yeah. the the uh, the head gasket on the 2.2 liter was just not quite sorted out with the get this very modern cast iron block and aluminum head right, and right, different right. expansion and contraction yeah, rate. yeah 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 <laughs> and and now did you do <clears throat> did you do a lot of carburetor work <clears throat> nope that was that was the tune-up guys and okay. we had we, we had tune tune guys that were uh there and they were gnashing their teeth as the the uh, on the side of the air cleaner they started putting some computer hardware and electronics to run the carburetor. Yeah. And then in 87 was the first year that carburetors were no longer allowed on passenger vehicles. Yeah. And it went to the first version of yeah, fuel throttle, injection. Throttle body injection. They, oh they, boy. Yeah. But they, but if you were a carburetor guy, but you weren't because you were doing head gaskets, that Chrysler was the one of the first deal, or I should say brands, to use the propane enrichment setup to set a carburetor, because I used to do a lot of carburetors. Carburetors and fuel systems were my forte. So if you had a 2-2 Chrysler and you set it up with the propane enrichment, like Chrysler told you, they actually ran very well. But we'll get away from Interesting. that. Yeah, so you see, you learned something today, right? And that's because yeah. <clears throat> that's because the dealer guys, they, an essential tool in a Chrysler dealership was a propane <clears throat> enrichment setup, and Chrysler would give you a spec. So you'd say, let's say, 700 rpm uh without propane 782 with propane and then you would adjust the mixture so anyway but what if we won't go there but so you work <laughs> so you worked at the chrysler dealership what were you driving there when you when you when you worked there were you driving a chevy 
I had a 70 Chevrolet pickup. Okay. And and then uh, the dealership took in trade a 70 Pontiac Firebird that was in terrible condition, and I bought it off the dealership used car lot as an almost driver and got it home, and I put a small block Chevrolet and a Saginaw okay. four-speed in it. All righty. And so, yeah, the, the, the Chrysler guys that were racing, you know, the – the three forties. And right, then there right. was one guy that re- real serious. He had a, a Chrysler big block. It wasn't a Hemi, but it was a Chrysler big yeah, block. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they would give me a hard time all the time with my Chevrolet junk. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But little did they, I mean, I'm saying this, you probably notice now, but too bad. You can't look them back up. I love the three forty Chrysler. That was a fan. That three sixty was a dump truck motor. I mean, it was a good motor, but it was a dump truck motor. But the three forty Chrysler was a runner. And do you know that the three forty Chrysler was patterned after a small block Chevy? Yes. Yes, I did know that. And and somewhere in our talk today, you said something about look them up. Yeah. I have I have an incredible story about looking them up, so I've written myself a little note. Okay, we, good. We do need to, yeah, we good. do need to come back to that. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah de- definitely. And then also, as an aside, before we get into something, what well, you're, you're sending me down memory lane, all right? And the thing <laughs> is that uh, probably the best running emission, in my estimation, the best running emission controlled. 318 and 360 Chrysler's were the last year in the police cars. Do you know that they had a quadrajet on them? Did you see those when you worked there? Oh, yeah. They had a Rochester quadrajet, and it was a yeah. fe- it was a feedback quadrajet, but it didn't have the TPS and everything like a GM feedback. It just had a mixture control solenoid, and those were great, great running engines with that quadrajet. But anyway, so now you're a young man, all right? You so you had what what engine was in the was in the '70 Chevy pickup truck? Was it a 307? Uh, a, nope, it was another Chevrolet 350, and then a, another one after that, and then okay. another one after that. I uh, I took that to the track as well, uh, uh, as well as a 67 Cutlass Supreme that had a Tunnel Ram Chevrolet in it. Actually, my first pass down the drag strip was at Cannondale Raceway, uh, southeast Fort Worth uh, in 1987, and I ran a blistering 9. 5 4 second 8 mile. Ooh. And that's <laughs> nosebleed, Bubby. You need a you need a you need an NHRA license for 9 second 8 mile. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And and I was so excited with my of course my column shift. Oh. Tunnel rams. I was so excited about, you know, getting or nervous excited. I actually threw it into reverse crossing the finish line and made a fantastic pile of smoke from the rear tires that didn't hurt anything i can imagine i wasn't going <laughs> i wasn't going very fast yeah but, yeah yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah that, 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 <clears throat> that's and i'm sure everybody in the in 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 the pits and the, the, the stand said if you if they were if you come back that guy's gonna be a top fuel driver an airline pilot you know gonna, i don't fly no more but l- now let's go back a little bit further Okay, is that mm-hmm. you're young? You're a young man growing up in Texas. Uh, your father was an engineer. Did he work on his own cars, or did he do things like we, that? We we maintained our cars okay. at the house. Oil changes, brake okay. stuff, uh, wheel bearings. Uh, right, so right. Yeah, all, tip- all, all, all all the typical maintenance, but they were completely stock family cars. Right, of course. There was a lot. 
And there was a long time that there was one family car and dad rode his bicycle to work. Okay. Uh, 10, okay. 10 feet touring bike to work. Okay. Now, so what, is was, your, what is your dad's name? Because that's going to be important. And what was your mom's name? Roy and Lena Farley. Roy and Lena Farley. And when did mom pass away? She passed away in the summer of 21. Okay, so just recently, just recently, yeah. yeah. So dad's been, dad, dad, dad hasn't been alone that long, yeah. So that's a shame. That's a shame. Yeah. But um, my both of my parents are gone, so I tell people, no matter how old you are, you still become an orphan. All right. So and and, and if you think about it, it it really does. You do become an orphan. But so, what was your first exposure? All right, we know about the Oldsmobile. We know about going to the track with it, right, and the, the pickup. So what was your first exposure, I don't want the exact date, to drag racing? And did you ever do, were you ever interested in any other type of racing, like road racing or circle track racing or whatever? So how did you get involved with, how'd you, how, how did this you get exposed to drag racing? As a young kid, uh, we, we, we had relatives that were up in Colorado and Wyoming, and a as a 10 12 13 year old we would drive up to alamosa colorado and my cousin dave so dave farley uh he was mm, seven or eight years older than me or is seven or eight years older than me and he had a 65 mustang that had the raised up air shock traction bar wheels sticking out the sides and it was like, man, that is so cool. Uh, when I grow up, I want to be like him. Yeah. And it, it just kind of stuck. I never did any uh, uh, turning. Turning is bad. Right. I'm scared of turning. <laughs> you, you, you only turn at the end of the quarter mile. That's what I tell people. That's why place shows a turn to go back. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So so that now were you were you a kid that that you know grew up reading the different magazines and car magazines and everything. I got car craft as I got to the middle teen years as, you know, 14, 15, and then getting into cars and then starting to try to make cars run. My, my first car was a 65 Plymouth Belvedere that my dad had retired and it wasn't running. And he said, this is your first car. If you could make it run, you have a car. Did it have a slant six? Did it have a slant six or a 318? It had the 273 solid oh, two, lifter V8. Oh, oh, we had a power pack on it then. Yes, and it was a beautiful four-door rock <coughs> bucket. It was it was fan, not really fantastic at all, but I was able to sell it for parts and then buy another car and then pour straight into yeah. eventually what turned into that Chevy pickup. Yeah, and something that I could drive around. At some, so you so you quickly got rid of something. You quickly gra- gra- graduated out of cars with a ballast resistor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that 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 that's wonderful. Okay. So now yeah. we're, we're going down this path. We got a young Scott. We got a young Scott. He's interested in this, right? And uh, do you remember? I'm not asking for a date and a time, and maybe you could give it to me. Who knows? Do you remember when you heard your first top fueler? I mean, I say top fuel, top fuel, funny car, whatever. A nitro, a nitro so, methane so, engine. So first top fueler was when Eddie Hill did 499 IHRA at the new Motorplex south of Dallas Fort Worth, 
I went to that when the track opened. I don't remember the year, but I was there okay. for that. And the first 4.99 quarter mile and that, that record got shattered. I was there for that when that track opened and it was the first all concrete quarter mile leading edge Billy Meyer facility that, that is the standard of racetracks today. Now, when you heard when you when you were at that track, the first time you heard that that crackle, that cackle from that top fuel motor, were you in the pits during a run, or were you in the stands watching it when they, when they, when they were warming it up in the pits, uh, check it? So, when was the first time? So that first time was it going down the track, or was it in the pits? It was going down the track. I was not literate to the every ticket is a pit pass. Okay. It, so I was in the sand and saw it, and I was trying to follow the car with my eyes, just absolutely amazed that, holy cow, that happened. I know. It's, ama- <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's amazing. And uh, <clears throat> I remember the first time I was physically next to a top fueler was at the uh, Summer Nationals in Englishtown, New Jersey, which I know in a previous conversation, you've never been to that track and now it's defunct, but in the Summer Nationals and uh, my buddy Glenn Nadell and I <clears throat> went to that. I was always a, <clears throat> excuse me, a drag race, you know, drag race when I was a kid and uh, we had a license and we had that, but we didn't realize we went for the final day. I should have gone for like the first or second day because I, I didn't, it just didn't click in my head that, that every time two cars go down the track, there's one, one of them is eliminated. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. so, so, but I remember, <clears throat> I don't know whose car it was. It may have been uh, Don, uh, it was a funny car, I believe, but it may have been Don Prudhomme's. I remember hearing that thing start and uh, I said, it's nothing like, like that on TV, but this is fantastic. So now when you heard that car run, uh, Eddie Hill make that pass down the track, <clears throat> that obviously planted the seed. Did you ever think that you would gravitate to, to, to that you would actually be in the seat of a, of a, of a top fuel car? Never in my wildest <clears throat> dreams. Never. Even, even, even as a further along in life when I was racing a blown alcohol Camaro and going to Indianapolis you know, I'd be on reserve here in Louisville and drive up over the Labor Day weekend and go watch the U.S. Nationals. And I could get where I could follow, you know, John Force and Doug Coletta down the track. I was like, that is so incredible. I could not believe that. Even then, and that was 2006, 7, 8, 9. No, never in my wildest dreams did I think I would ever even sit in one let alone drive one, let alone own one. <laughs> yeah, right. We're going to get to that. All right, so now let's juxtapose this, all right? So now you went to, when we're going to come back, like I said, we're going to bounce back and forth, all right? Yeah. And the thing is that, so now how did your love for, how did your love for aviation start? Uh, I, I always loved airplanes. Uh, born and raised in Fort Worth on the east side of Fort Worth, Texas. And in 1975, the DFW airport opened. And so American Airlines moved from LaGuardia down to headquarters down in Texas and expanded greatly there. And so every day, either on takeoff or, to, or landing, most of the time it was landing when they were landing to the north because Fort Worth is kind of south of the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. I would watch these 
Boeing 727s and Douglas DC-10s come over, and they were just graceful and slow because they were all getting configured for landing. They were on about a eight, nine-mile final, so they were nice and slow. You could really look at them and see them. They weren't very high, and they were coming into land, and I just always had the dream to fly, but I knew with having glasses and 2200 vision that 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 dream too was way too far off to ever become a reality either so how did you get past the vision because that was my obstacle as far as i wanted to be a fighter pilot in the air force where i wanted to fly something in the service but they but they told me they wouldn't even let me clean the windshield with my eyes well i thought the same thing and so it kind of goes back to the mechanicing. I was hanging out with my mechanicing buddies, and the dealership is just a little bit south of where I lived. And so you'd watch those airplanes come over, and you know we'd be sitting around on a lazier afternoon when there wasn't much work, and I'd watch airplanes, and I'm like, I'd like to go do that. And some of my mechanic buddies, and especially the one that's going to circle back to the look them back up later. Yes, he was. He was a good. He is a good friend. Um, he was like. Scott, you're not smart enough, you're not rich enough, and you wear glasses. You're, you you just need to be realistic with your dreams. You, you're not going to be a pilot. And I was like, okay, now I'm really going to be a pilot. Okay. And so, <laughs> so I was really determined, and I figured, I, and my dad was not in aviation. He had followed me into aviation. Right. Um, there was no, no clue. It was like literally walking up and if you had never seen a drag car before or even a car at all and you go to an NHRA event and say, I want to drive a top fuel car, that's how foreign everything. So I, I looked in the phone book and I called the federal aviation administration, FAA across the way in Dallas, way, way, way over in Dallas from Fort Worth. And I said, hi, this is my name's Scott. And I want to learn to be a pilot. And this FAA guy in the usual gross authoritative voice was, are you serious? I'm like, yes, I want to be a pilot. I don't know anything about aviation, but I'd like to be a pilot. He goes, is this a joke? I said, no, <laughs> sir. I, I, how, how do I become a pilot? I do not know. He goes, do you have a phone book? Yes. Open the phone book to the A's. Yes. <laughs> Look under aviation. Okay. With papers. Okay. Can you see aviation flight school? Yes call an aviation flight school and ask for flying lessons. Click. <laughs> but that was a monument. Hey, he gave you the right directions though, right? So <laughs> he did. He did. And, and so I went out uh, to uh, Fort Worth Beecham airport, which is on the North side of just North of downtown Fort Worth and signed up for what was called a discovery flight. And I was, and still am a person that is afraid of heights. If you get me out on the roof of a, well, the roof of the trailer, I am a nervous person. Yeah, yeah. But it, in enclosed space, I'm good. Right. And we went out and did a flight, and I was like, that was awesome. I'm going to try that again, and I'm going to do this. Was and it a Piper Cub? What was that flight? It, it was a Cessna 152. Cessna 152. So, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's, Now, when you started this journey, you were still working in the car dealership, right? 
Yes. Right. So now you now you start the journey to fly, and at that particular point, so I want to juxtapose these things. You went to the drag strip. You saw Eddie Hill. What do you got? Four ninety nine. You said four ninety nine at the drag strip, and now yeah. you, you went up in a plane. Right. You went up a plane. So you signed up for for, for flying lessons. Did you ever envision, or was your goal? Because a lot of people get a pilot's license and they fly a private plane or whatever they you know say belong to a flying club or something. But was your goal to become a professional? pilot and did you ever think you're going to fly an md-11 my goal was to be a professional pilot but i never thought i would get this far in my career okay. I, I i i knew my vision stuff might be a problem and i was i, I wanted to fly something and even if it was sm- smaller airplanes or for what you know the commuter airlines at the time where they were flying the turboprops right or if it was a smaller cargo carrier it was like I, that's what I want to do, and if I if I'm able to do that, that that to me is success, and it's just gone beyond my wildest dreams. So now, where was your first paid pl- pilot's job, and what did you fly? Uh, first first paid pilot job was uh, we went through and did private instrument commercial, and the next license after that was called an instructor license, and that's where you you actually step back and start teaching people in small airplanes to build up hours and experience. Okay. And that's a fantastic way to learn is to try to teach somebody something. Yes. Any, <laughs> anything, anything, anything in life. Oh, oh my goodness. Yes. And so I did, I did that for a while. Uh, I started that, uh, first flying lesson was in August of 1988. I started flight instructing, in December of 89 and then did that for a year and a half, almost two years, and then started flying a Baron twin engine, uh, Buddy Holly airplane. Everybody okay. calls it, uh, flying, uh, canceled checks at night, uh, for the federal reserve. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. You know? Yeah. So, um, the federal reserve, if they close the bank, put their several hundred million dollars of checks in a big trash bag, put it on our little airplane, and then we flew it to another Federal Reserve before opening day. Both banks could earn the interest for each day. There wasn't a day of lost interest. So they're all all over the country prior to the uh, digital age. There were all these checks flying around in the middle of the night from big banks to federal reserves or from federal reserves to federal reserves all in this basically a money laundering to not lose interest right to have the actual physical checks although they had no value but you would deposit them between the banks and not lose the days of interest would justify the flying so now, did you fly that by? I never heard of a plane called a Baron. What kind? Of, I never heard. Of it. Uh, but it's a Beechcraft Baron. Oh, Beechcraft. Uh, you may have heard of. Yeah, have you heard of a Bonanza? Yes. Okay, so a Bonanza and a Baron are the same body airplane. The Bonanza is a single engine, and it's very famous for its detail in the older model. Okay. And then the Baron was a twin engine, so the nose was pointy on it and they mounted the engines on the wings and it gave it a higher gross weight and higher carrying capacity. Yeah. And then obviously the redundancy of having the extra engine right, there. Right. Yes. And 
So now were you were you were you uh, the pilot or the co-pilot when you were flying that? That was single pilot operation. Okay, so, so those, 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 it's a very small airplane. If it if you put people in it, uh, if it had seats all the way through, it would only have six seats. It's, okay, the plane the plane grows to like fifty three, fifty four hundred pounds. So it was it was a light airplane. And what um, kind, what kind of what what brand engines would it have Pratt and Whitney's on it? Like Homings, what did it have? Uh, they they would have, uh, let's see, they had Continental on the Baron. Okay, yeah. wow, wow. So now at that particular point, uh, so this was, were you still, when did you leave the Chrysler dealership? Uh, when I went to work in December of 89, uh, I quit the dealership and went to full-time instructing. Okay. And so I went from making more money than I could spend in theory, as you know, a 19 year old, 20 year old at a dealership living at home right. and paying for flying lessons to making very, very, very little money as a flight instructor. And then even the flying the checks at night was a very, from, from a, uh, a banking or a financial perspective, it does not look like a smart decision yeah, uh, yeah. compared to, compared to uh, a, the salary I was making as a mechanic, I, I made a bunch more money as a mechanic. Sure. So now, so after you flying the checks, what was your, what, what was your next job that you figure, I mean, flying job that you figure you were starting now to, you know, to climb the, the financial ladder and getting back to where you were swinging wrenches at the Chrysler dealership. So one of my runs at this uh, place where I was flying checks, Midway Aviation, uh, actually had me based in New Orleans, Louisiana. And every af- late afternoon, early evening, I go to the airport and get the airplane ready and wait for the van with all the checks. And I'd be sitting with these guys that worked at Amerijet, uh, which was, a, which was, and it still is, it's an airline that's based in Fort Lauderdale, but they had uh, eight or nine 727s that were, very, very retired uh, American Airlines 727s that had cargo doors cut in it. And I just bugged them until they really wanted me to go away. And I was like, the best way to get me to shut up, you'll never hear from me if you put me in the cockpit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it took uh, eight or nine months of just beating on the chief pilot's door and sitting with those guys and it's like, I promise you, I, I won't annoy you once I'm an employee here. But until then, you can't do anything to me, so I'm going to annoy you. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. Put yeah. Me to work. <laughs> so, so now when you went, when you got into the uh, to the seven twenty seven, but you legally you couldn't fly that. That's a jet. You had a you had a you didn't have a license for that, correct? So when when you get hired to fly one of these airliners or any of the bigger aircraft the first thing that the company has to do is put you in training for that specific aircraft. So okay. I had the FAA licenses for it. And then I had to go to the specific type training that was approved by the FAA for a marriage at, for that carrier. And that, and that applies to all the airlines and all airliners is you'll go through a three month course okay. for that particular jet for the seat that you are going to fly in. So, so you were right seat, not left seat. You were right seat. Correct. Okay, right seat. I was, yes. So I did right seat and did that for four and a half years for a marriage yet. And there, at that time, there was a many, many, many Eastern Airlines, 
and Pan American Airlines pilots that no longer had a job because right. those airlines closed down. So there was a full-time supply of guys that had been 727 captains in previous lifetimes. So Amerijet didn't ever put anybody that was in the right seat over in the left seat. Okay. So I had to, in 1996, I made the decision to go to another place called Kitty Hawk that was actually based in Fort Worth, Texas, yeah. at the DFW airport. And I got hired there in the right seat. And within six months, I went to training for the left seat because I had a lot of time on the 727. Okay. And uh, in 97, I was a 727 captain flying freight all over the United States. Wow. Now, um, we're just going to dive into this a little bit more if you, because uh, I think it's fascinating. And uh, now, do they, uh, this is an aside, do they, you, do they have an, even today, do they, like when you go into the plane in the MD-11, is there a navigator or, or, or is just the, the, the two pilots? The- so the, the 727 had what they call a flight engineer. So the, okay. the navigator was even a fourth position in the cockpit oh, okay. to actually, to actually, and some of our oldest 727s actually had a port in the top of the cockpit that was the sextant to actually take star readings to really? plot, plot off of the stars. Wow. And so that, that navigator position went away in the 60s and 70s. But the 727, because it really doesn't have any computer systems in it, all of the fuel, electric, air systems, hydraulic systems, and everything, how it intertwined, was nothing was automated. So there was a physical person sitting off, right behind the co-pilot, sitting sideways, that would do everything systems-wise with the airplanes while the two guys up front were flying. And at Amerijet, I did that a little bit okay, and did that training and got that certificate. And then at Kitty Hawk, I did it a little bit after I got in the captain's seat just because they were short of people and I already had the certificate. So they said, okay. well, we'll, we'll, we'll have you fill in for some of the engineer stuff. And it was, I would basically jostle around in the airplane on longer flights to help cover stuff because we were just short of qualified people. Okay. So basically it was almost like a Navy ship with a captain, you know, left rudder, three degrees of full throttle. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And yeah, we would actually do that. We would, we would get, we would get out on the runway and we'd say set takeoff thrust. Yeah. And the engineer had calculated what the takeoff thrust was and the, it's called EPR setting or N1 RPM engine RPM. Yeah. And then he would, he would actually push the throttles up between us for takeoff thrust, and then he'd pull it back for climb thrust. And oh, really? our wow. job was to fly the airplane and navigate it around with the electronic instruments that were there. Wow. And the engineer ran the systems of the airplane. Wow. The MD-11, the, the MD-11 because it, it was an upgraded and computerized version of the Douglas DC-10, the DC-10 had an engineer. In the MD-11, there was just, captain first officer because there's a, a bunch of computer systems that help run the okay. physical systems of the airplane and the uh flying 
we, we, we would still do the basic same flying duties. Okay. So now I'm just I'm just going to divest from that for a second. I'm going to go back to the drag racing. So off the air before we start to record this uh, today is that I asked you where you were this week. You said you made a run down to Puerto Rico. So do they plot a route for you? Or like when you say, say go to Puerto Rico, what do you do? Do you plug it into your phone? I mean, how do you know how to get there? So they'll do a flight plan for us. Uh, they'll take a look at the weather and radar and stuff and then they'll look at whatever military space is or isn't active and they'll plot a route for us and then we get the paperwork and we look at the route and we confirm from our set of eyes and our perspective so they're looking at it from a time fuel right safety perspective and then we're looking at it from safety time fuel you know our priorities are a little bit different but it it all kind of balanced but they do the initial plotting of the route whether it's from louisville to san juan puerto rico or from louisville to honolulu hawaii on to hong kong and around the world they'll do they'll do the initial flight planning for us and then literally if you look at the iphones of today that purple magenta line that exists yeah that came out on airplanes in the late 70s, the magenta <laughs> line. Wow. So now, who does that? So, like, in UPS, for say, who, who's the one who's going to play? What is that person's background that's going to do all those playing the route for you? So, they are an FAA-licensed dispatcher. Oh, dispatcher. So, okay. Yeah. So, they, they, they go to school, and they learn all the regulations that apply to flying from their perspective. Uh, from from the safety and regulation, and then they learn weather, and then they come in and they learn the operation and kind of what what what's the goal of of what we're doing here, and then they get licensed with the FAA and they keep a current certificate just like I keep a current okay. certificate. Okay, but they're not pilots. Most of them are not pilots, but some of them okay. do. Some of them do fly, and some of them have, you know, a private pilot license or an instrument rating. Right. And those those people that that can see it from different perspectives offer some advantage, and the company will say, "Well, this person has a little more to offer." Right, right. And so they'll they'll kind of move up the dispatcher chain, and they'll do a little bit more that it gets into the big picture mm. things because they have a pilot perspective and a dispatcher perspective. Most of them, by and large, are just licensed dispatchers. Okay, now we're going to stop there, and we're going to go back to the drag strip, if that's okay. All righty? We're going to go back yep. to... So you had, what was a 67 Oldsmobile, 442 with a Chevy motor in it with a tunnel ram? Is that what you... Did you yes. Say? yes. Okay, and you said it had a column shift. So was it a column automatic, or did it have three in the tree? It had a column turbo 400. Okay, so that's why you went right past... So you manually shifted it, and you went right past neutral into reverse. So yeah, that's right. But <laughs> all right, but, all right. So now we did that. Everybody's got to do that once, you know. So it's, yeah. that that's fine. All right. You, you only have to do it once. But the thing is that. Um, so now, that's a miss. That's a well, I don't want to call it a miss shift because that's a a mishap. And I don't yeah. want you to give away anything that is you're not supposed to. All right. Have you had anything that is close to a mishap while you were flying? You don't have to give me too many details. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've had a few engine failures, uh, uh, as a teacher teaching in light airplanes, I had a couple of students that were 
they were great book knowledge people, but when it comes, there's some people that are fantastic with books, some people that are fantastic with applying things, some people that are fantastic at both. Uh, I had one student, he was unbelievably fantastic with the book stuff, any rule regulation, anything with physics, he could just run it out and he, he would teach me stuff. We get in the airplane and he was, he could not make the connection to physically operate the controls. So there were, there were a few times that things were a little dicey there. But what was like with a big Uh, plane, like a 727 or MD-11? No real mishaps uh, with those? uh, We, uh, in the 727, we did hit a bunch of geese descending into Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, it did not get the engines, but it damaged the, uh, Vertical stabilizer, the tail, pretty badly. Oh, really? The geese uh, will do that, oh, huh? Oh, yeah. Birds are really, really solid when you add 250, 300 miles an hour to them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I thought the plane would just laugh at that. You know what I'm saying? No. Nope. 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 It, it is very much uh, thin aluminum. And geese geese are big. Uh, if, we, if we whack a, a sparrow, um, we'll hear it. And it may make just a slight indentation, but the bird, the big geese, they are really, really dangerous. Really? Oh, absolutely. So yeah. basically, yeah. God is a better engineer than Boeing and McDonnell Douglas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we, you don't play with geese. They're bad. Really? <laughs> wow. So basically, in essence, because there are some people who are afraid to fly, in all honesty, and correct me if I'm wrong, you had a more of a mishap on the drag strip in a 67 Oldsmobile than you've had in the air. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm much more concerned about the drive to the airport than getting in the airplane. Once, really? once we're in the airplane, it's, it's, it's a very structured, calm, and surprisingly slow-moving environment, even though we're doing 600 miles an hour en route. Yeah. We're, it, it's very structured, and everybody knows what the game is as far as sequencing and they understand when things are running smoothly or when things are running poor because the weather's bad and everybody knows to work together whereas if you go out on the highway and oh, forget things it, are it's a free for all yeah it's a free it's, for yeah. all now one there other no free for all in the air yeah one other question then we're going to go back to some i was beg, i'm be, I, I, for years i've been begging to ask of an, an official pilot an official captain all right of a big plane not somebody flying a, a little private plane right have you seen any ufos and you, you, i i have not i've okay. seen some i've seen some high flying really high flying jets um okay. i i've seen a bunch of satellites that really when they when they get lined up and they're you know and as you're passing and you watch their orbits you could kind of turn it into a story of ufos okay but i i i haven't seen any ufos they they avoid me okay and how far how high what what altitude do you usually fly at i know it changes on each flight uh yeah depending on weight will be anywhere from the high 20s 28, 29,000 feet to the low 40s. 40, okay. 40, 43,000 is as high as uh, pretty much any of the big transport jets go. The, okay. the, the, the business jets, uh, the, like the Gulfstream 5 yeah, right and the 500, there. those will go into the high 40s. Okay. But the, the different, the pressurization and 
what's required to go that high yeah. is a lot more technical right. and uh, it, it's, it's, it's got a lot more problems than right. staying in at 43,000 right, below. Right, right, yeah. It's like running a motor at 6,000 RPM versus 7,200, you know? So it's, uh, yeah. So, but as an aside to that, you said Gulfstream 5 is that Sue Moore, my, uh, my art director who you communicated with with the wonderful photos that you sent yeah. and everything her, well she had she had a private plane license nothing like you but her daughter and her son-in-law uh her daughter i think flies or some, one of them flies a Gulfstream stream five as a corporate pilot and the other one yeah. flies uh one of those crazy looking Palantis, Palantis, what I could have. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Palantis, uh-huh. yeah. So you said Gulfstream 5. All right, so now let's go back to the drag strip. So, okay. all right, so you got the 67 O's and BL, you, 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 you threw it into reverse. It wasn't your proudest moment, all right? All right, the thing is that what was the progression? progression of the drag cars for you to end up? Because, I mean, top fuel, that's like. Honestly, I mean, hey, I'm to- I'm a- I'm toxic masculinity. That's like saying picking up a young man, pick up a Playboy magazine. And go, I'm going to date a girl that's like that. You know what I'm saying? How, how, what was the progression? <laughs> hey, it's toxic masculinity. We're not politically correct. All right, how did you? So, 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 give us this timeline. I mean, to go to top fuel. I mean, oh my God. Yes. So, the uh, cutlass down the drag strip. Um, we had the Firebird 70 Firebird with a small block in it. We did a little bit of street racing with that. Um, we had the 70 Chevrolet pickup that that was just too heavy and not enough uh, that I just couldn't get into a big block. Um, and so I did that for a while and then we got into the flying bug. And then when we started instructing, I could not afford to fly and be married. I got married at 21 and just things weren't working. It was like, right. okay, I'm going to sell, I'm going to sell my cars to help finance family stuff. And I'm going to come back to hot rodding as soon as I can. And everybody said, you'll never get back into it. And I was like, that may happen, but I, I have to do this. So I sold my, all the hot rod cars. I was driving a little Mitsubishi four cylinder pickup truck doing my flying thing. And once I got on with a Marijet flying the 727, I said, okay, I think I can scrape enough money up to start getting back into this hot rodding thing, if not racing thing. So I went to a local dealership in Arlington, Texas, right next door to Fort Worth. And bought a little red 65 Chevy 2 Nova. It was a sedan, so it wasn't the popular. It was, had the small window in the back. But well, it had a, what were they doing with it in the dealership? What was it, like a grandma's trading? Uh, it was It was kind of a hot rod deal that nobody could that nobody would buy it. So okay. it was 1990, it was 94, 1994. Yeah. And it was sitting on the lot. And I was just like, it had bright red lacquer paint gray stripes on the side and a 350 that had a rumpity rump cam in it and i was like i've just got to get this car beautiful they weren't beautiful they were 14 inch 14 by 6 krager ss's and it was a four door it was a four door you said right 
No, it was a two doors. Oh, it was a sedan. Okay, okay, yeah, sedan. Okay, sedan. all right. At least because in Australia they all run four doors. It looks crazy to me. But anyway, yeah. yeah. So okay, so at least it was a, it was a two door. All right, that's all right. So you got that. So you bought the little Chevy oh. too. Yeah. So I bought the Chevy too, and then this weird company showed up that was in the had their magazines in the grocery store. This startup that was called the it's a strange place. It was called. Summit Racing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they had the uh, Wyans 142 blower, the little baby blower. Yeah. And I was I was like, I'm going to get a blower for my car. So That I, was a Roots-type blower, right? That was a Roots blower. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was based It's based on the GM, GMC 53 Series 2-low rotor. Okay. And it was literally displaced 142 cubic inches per revolution, and yeah. it would fit under fit under the hood. So I had this was my only car that I okay. drove. I drove daily drive to work to to go fly for a Marijet, and then for Kitty Hawk was a blown '65 Chevy Nova, sort of blown. I was, <laughs> and that was a so that was a draw through carburetor you had on there because it sat on top of that blower hat, right? Yes. Yeah, yep. what was it? A Holly? So, it was a Holly. Holly, Holly eight fifty double pumper. And and so was the three. Was it the three fifty that you bought the bought the car with? Or did you change the motor? Yeah. Nope. No. Uh, uh, what, I, what heads are on there? Uh, they were the classic double hump. I heads. was going to say double hump heads. Yeah, error yeah, yeah. Cor- error correct. Error correct. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Everything yeah. was error error correct on this thing. Yeah. So, now, yeah. Did you have to? You must have that cam you had in there was not blower friendly with all that overlap. The I didn't care. I oh. didn't care. I just I had a blower on it. Okay. <laughs> so, right. uh, I drove that for a long time, and I got the idea that I needed to go to bigger motor, and so I actually sold the blower and the motor to some guys. I was flying regularly up to Toledo, Ohio for one of the Burlington Express freight okay. sort. Yeah. And I'd hang out with the mechanics down there and we'd talk cars and airplanes and stuff. And uh, I sold the, the motor and the blower to a guy up in Toledo. So I literally, once I got this bigger motor in my Nova, I put the small block in the trunk of the ship of the Nova, yeah. drove it to the airport, and yeah. we forklifted it out, put it on my 727, and I flew it to Ohio. <laughs> and the comp- that was uh, that was a freebie. Company didn't know anything about that, right? Uh, the company knew, but I I, I I was really friendly with the mechanics and a gearhead. Yeah, yeah. Every, every, everybody got along. It was a, it, it was different I, times. I mean, it was, it was a nice. small company. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, it was a, and a small company. Yeah, yeah. So, four hundred people total across the United States worked yeah. there. You know, um, so um, and so the motor that I put in there was a four hundred and fifteen cubic inch small block with a B six seventy one that I actually had to fabricate an intake manifold to okay. make it where it would fit on the the motor just some of it was money and some of it was just availability. Then did, so you build, that, did you build that small block or did you buy a short block for that, the, the big one? Uh, uh, I built the short block and then I bought Dart 
uh, cast iron heads for okay. it, the, like the di- dark iron eagle. I was going to say iron oh, eagle. My God, they're like parallels here. You know? Yeah. 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 So uh, I did that for a while, and uh, uh, in 1999, I decided that I was I'd been a captain on the 727 for a while, had some decent money, and job prospects were very really hard to move up from where I was. And so I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do a big block Chevrolet in this car. So, uh, I did my own back half on the car, mild steel cage, put a Dana 60 in it and a four link, uh, in my driveway outside, uh, with a Lincoln flux core welder that I still have to this day. Wow. Uh, um, and then I put a 540 cubic inch motor, and I got that short block and Edelbrock Victor heads and a Wyand 871 blower for that. Wow. But you're a blower man. Let me just go back. From when you ran, when you got to, this is still the Nova, right? The 65 Nova. Yes. All right. Yes. What, when it had the the 350 in it, the original 350 before the blower and after blow, did you ever run it at the track? Uh, with the small block, I never took it to the track okay even with I never the blower. ended up taking it even with the blower even with the blower nope i did some street racing and hot rodding but it was literally it was my daily driver okay. it was the only car i had would it have a turbo 350 in it uh let me think with the 540 i put a 400 in okay. it so yeah it came with a 350 when it had the small block in it, it had yeah. a turbo 350 in it but i put a 400 in it behind the big one okay and when you built the big small block what was it a 400 factory chevy block or did you uh have an aftermarket block for when you built the stroker it was, it was a, a 400 factory block and then the 400 factory crank but the the uh, rod journals were ground outside ground down to the smaller 327 okay. journal. Yeah. And that got at that 415 displacement. And that should have been a 585 long rod. I think the 400s had 585 rods in them. So I don't remember anymore. But uh, all right, so cool. And, uh, and would it have a flat tappet cam in it or a roller cam? Uh, I think I was still hydraulic for all the small block stuff it was hydraulic once okay. i got the once once i got the big block it was solid roller and it's been solid roller ever since okay so so now you, so this was so basically for what i could glean when you put the 540 in in uh in the nova right that's a little bit of a shoehorn in there but put the 540 in there uh that was your first big block yes yeah so uh how did you like the big block compared to the small block Big block is where it's at, man. Cubic <laughs> inches and a blower, that was good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So what did that, what did that car run? Uh, so uh, I drove it around as a regular car, and uh, I got hired at UPS in 2000. I relocated the car to Louisville. Okay. And when I'm in Louisville, it was my, uh, I got a little Honda Accord to drive around, and so I could turn it into a little more race type car okay. but it was always still street legal and so i drove it down to ohio valley dragway and i was able to do some 580s in the eighth mile okay and i think i got it down to a 560 something okay um with a lap belt they they really did not they were not excited about me doing that quick with just a 
factory okay. 65 Chevy lap belt. They, okay. they said you need shoulder harness in that. Yeah. And, uh, so my, my second wife, Michelle, we've been married since 2006. Uh, she, got in the car and her first ride in that car, I had, I had the big block. It was in Louisville and she goes, she, I took her for a ride and she goes, I'll ride in this car again. Once you get a real shoulder harness, uh, five point harness for this car. Okay. Now we're <laughs> going to stop right there because we're going to put Michelle, even though she's not on the podcast with you on the spot. All right. So now this lady gets in this car, right? She says, I'm not going to ride here, but I think I know something. The audience doesn't know yet. She's a pilot also, isn't she? Yes, we met at UPS in 2000, when, or sorry, in 2001. We were both married at the time. Uh, we just talked, you know, in Louisville when we flew into the sort. Just were, you know, the new hires that were all giddy and excited about being at UPS. And I went to training on the MD-11 in 2001, and she was still on the DC-8 as an engineer. We both started as flight engineers on the DC-8 at UPS. Okay. And wow. then, so we kind of went our separate ways. And then in 2000, late 2004, I was teaching as an instructor on the MD 11 and she came through as a student. Okay. We were both, we were both single at the time and we just started studying together and all right. All, right, the, all right, the and the rest the, the rest is history. But here you have a lady that's flying a, a does she fly an MD eleven today also? Or what does she fly? Yes, she does. Yes, she, all right. she's a captain on the MD eleven as well. And I, and I think the scuttlebutt says she's a better pilot than you. But anyway, well, <laughs> so uh, but that she is. She it, she likes following directions and she really likes procedures and doing it right. Right. I'm a. <laughs> you're a drag racer. You're a drag. You're a street racer. Let's face. You're a street racer. They're right. I mean, I'm saying this lovingly. A dirt bag street racer. You know, we're gonna do what That's we gotta right. do. Right. So the yeah. thing is that. Uh, so now the thing. So here it is. Is a woman who's flying going 600 miles an hour. She's not getting in this Nova without the proper harness. All right. So that that tells a big story about that Nova. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was able to do as quick as 890 at 155 with the car. Okay. Uh, that was the best that we were able to do in the quarter mile with it. And that was drive it to the track and drive it home right. with, nice. uh, with the uh, M&H, M no, uh, Mickey Thompson, right. E.T. Street, the right. E.T. Street yeah, treaded. Yeah. yeah. It was a slick with two treads in it. Yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic in the rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, well, <laughs> yeah, and so you were. So at that particular point, you were living in Kentucky or in Indiana. Where were you living? In the same house that I'm sitting now in okay. Indiana, southern okay. Indiana. Yeah. So your yeah. mom, your mom and dad are in Texas. You're in Indiana, yeah. right? You're in Indiana. Yes, yes. How the heck did you end up in the Yankee State in Connecticut? Well, Michelle's family is up there, and. Okay. As the as her father got a little bit older and her younger sister's three kiddos got a little bit older, we decided we wanted to spend more time up there with them. And so we bought a place that has, uh, it's a really neat place that's just very near where Michelle grew up and the airport that's easy to get to Louisville. Okay. Um, the house was built in 1750. Wow. And uh, the right across the driveway is a nice, really nice size shop. So the hot rotting could grow and become what it is now pretty easily up there. 
And, 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 so, and what 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 I know I have a lot of listener. I believe it or not, I have a listener uh, <clears throat> who is out in Utah now, and they would years ago. I mean, many years ago, but not that many. If that makes sense, I mean, it wasn't fifty years ago. They were dairy farmers in Connecticut, and they moved to Utah. John Nye is his name, and they moved to Utah, and he's got a big dairy. Roof. A 5,500 head of cow. He's milking 5,500 cows there. He supplies, I believe, if you're listening, John, all his all the milk for Dan and yogurt. So I know he's going to be interested. And I have a lot of listeners from that area. Where in Connecticut okay. do you live? Where Where in Connecticut are you living? So the town proper is Ellington, Connecticut. Ellington, uh, okay. So it's, and it's if if you're looking at Hartford and then Springfield, Massachusetts, it's between those two cities and slightly east it's it's just 15 minutes directly east of the uh hartford bradley international airport okay uh, it's on ten, 10 acres the next door neighbor is a cattle rancher um and we're good friends and he 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 rolls his eyes whenever we start up the race cars <laughs> but he loves he loves it and uh, all of his kids come over when we start the race cars when that, i say kids they're 30 now is that the gentleman i don't know obviously but the and for, you know and, and so for the audience of full disclosure scott and i never met we would know it, we wouldn't know each other if we sat on a plane unless we under unless we recognized our voices but uh he's we're like brothers from a different mother because because we had so many parallels in our life but the way i found out about you scott if you remember is that you posted a little st- startup video of your of your top fuel car in your in your driveway in in connecticut and it looked yes. like a very rural area and there was a house across the road i don't know obviously what road was there and the guy had a beautiful new holland tractor there and that's what caught yeah. my eye because i said oh man look at this a top fuel on a new holland tractor don't get much better than this that's almost like matt hagan because he has a new holland tractor and that's and but that looked like so is that the gentleman who was the cattle rancher yes Yes. So his name is Critter, uh, Chris. Chris, Chris, okay. Uh, Chris, but we, we, we call him Critter. Okay. And uh, um, yes, he has 60 or 70 head of cow on 30 acres. Okay. That, uh, actually almost surrounds our 10 acres that we're okay. on. Do the cows get um, frightened when you start up the car? Uh, they didn't really express an opinion. They were kind of downfield, um, but they do, they do live on the property, uh, during the summer. There's a little pond that freezes over. So Critter brings the cows back over to his property. But, uh, during the summer they come over and, uh, they've witnessed many a time the blown alcohol cars starting up either in the shop or out on the driveway. And they, they, they didn't seem too disturbed. They just kind of look. Yeah. And they put their head back down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now we got the Nova, right? We got the Nova. Yeah. We we know whose New Holland track there it is across the road from you. All right. And uh, we have the Nova. So now the Nova. Pro- pro- <clears throat> what was the next progression? So we're still in Louisville, Kentucky. We have we haven't moved up to Connecticut till 2018. So we're still in Louisville, Kentucky. And in 2010, I decided this Nova is a great car. But it isn't a great streetcar anymore. Um, I've done so many things to it. It's just trouble on the street, but it's too heavy to be a good race car. I'm going to buy a race car. Okay. And so I bought a 1970 Camaro with a mild steel uh, 750 cert chassis and a 540 with an 871 on alcohol. 
Was it an old bracket car or was what was it? It, it was kind of an outlawish bracket car. That okay. there, there's an outlaw, a local outlaw series here in Louisville, uh, Ovos Outlaw, Ohio Valley Outlaw okay. Streetcars, and it, it participates in that. Uh, Drew Tar is the guy that owns Street and Strip. He's a great guy uh, down in Louisville, and he he turned into my hot rod buddy. That is, he's he's awesome and interconnected. He was from the Super Shop era and. He broke off from super shops and he's still standing super shops isn't. And, uh, I bought the car from him in 2010 and started running that with the 871 on it. And then I bought a 1471 for it. And I was really, I was, I could take it to the track. I've, I've gotten a trailer for it and, uh, take it to the track. It would run 458. 462 at 160 miles an hour day in day out it was super dependable and i was like i'm gonna screw this up i mean yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh i'm i, I want to get a screw blower right 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 and everybody's like yeah 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 pat me on the head and i was like no i'm gonna get a screw blower that's alcohol so motor I, you said alcohol motor right yeah it's, so it's a 540 chevrolet with a now 1471 on it and yeah. i wanted to put a sea rotor screw on it yeah and once I got the C rotor screw, everybody's like, okay, you seem pretty serious about this. If your big block is still together, please sell it so that it's worth something before you put the C rotor on it and put the crank out the bottom. And then yeah, 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 yeah. So I said, okay, I'm going to get a Hemi. So I got uh, one of old, old, old Connie Coletta's oh, really? fuel, hem- uh, fuel Hemi's that was converted over for alcohol, you know, the big giant dome piston, right, with, right. you know, in, in the big fuel head. And people were like, well, you can't put that in a mild steel chassis car. You need to get a pro mod for this guy. And I was like, well, I think I'm going to make a chassis. Okay. And they're like, you're an idiot. And I was like, I know that, but I'm going to make a <laughs> chassis. So I got 300 feet of tubing and a bottle jack, uh, tubing bender that was literally a hydraulic bottle jack in a constraint with a mandrel bend on it to bend tubing. And I bent up a chromoly cage, sold the mild steel cage, put the car back on and the steel body back on it, put the Hemi in there and went out and run some four fifties and some four forties at one sixty five hundred and seventy, And, I was like, this, this, this is getting pretty fun. And from there, I said, you know, I, I, I want to do some competing. And so I was talking to guys about doing PDRA racing yeah. in their pro extreme class. And they're like, well, you're way too heavy for that. You need to get a real pro bot. And it's like, what do I need to weigh? And they said, well, you could be as light as 2350. I was like, okay, I'll get back with you. Yeah. And so I got out my sandpaper and I sanded the car down to get it ready for paint, put several coats of wax on it and then some mold release. And I sprayed gel coat, put several coats of fiberglass on the outside of the steel body Camaro Yeah, and made, made a mold of the 70 Camaro body. Wow. I popped it off, put it back together and laid a body in carbon fiber. Wow. In, in my two car garage here in Indiana. Wow. 
and the UPS guy, good friend, the UPS guy that did all the deliveries, you know, because yeah. you have your regular UPS guy. Right, right, right. He'd be bringing parts. I'd be buying Second Carbon from Fiberglass Corporation and all these different places that would have the the knock the the fiberglass that had you know a couple of strings pulled, so it was much less expensive per yeah. yard. And he'd be bringing all this stuff, and he'd look at what you're doing, what I was doing, and he goes, "Well." you're either a complete genius or a total idiot. And <laughs> it, it, it's not going to be, it's not going to be hard to tell which one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, wow, so you made your own body there in the, in the garage. Wow. Yes. So I made a complete, I did the doors. I did a front end, removable front end, all in completely stock dimension, 1970 Camaro. So did it look a uh, lot like a 1970 Camaro or did it skew like a it funny car? Nope, it looked exactly. It was wow. dimensionally dimensionally perfect. Like wow. you could interchange the body, the steel body, or the carbon body, and it that happened a couple of times as time went by. That's amazing. And so, what did it run then? Well, so that so I got that car to run three ninety nine at one eighty five in the wow. eighth mile. Wow! Then you ever run quarter mile? Would it? Uh, uh, I I took it up to M Epping and yeah. I ran it through and did that 399, clicked it off just right after the eighth mile yeah. and coasted to a 653. Oh wow! So it was run. So, it's, it's run. It's running. And what kind of mile now? Or did you go through the beams at the end? Uh, 155. Okay. So, and so yeah. Wow. Wow. That's uh, no. It's, it's definitely. It's definitely. It's definitely pulling. So so you. Oh yeah. So so you. What kind of 60 foot did that car pull? Uh, the, the best one was nine sixty nine sixty foot. And what kind of sixty foot did your top fuel pull? Uh, so far, the best we've done is eight fifty three. Okay, okay. There's a little bit of a hit difference compared to the other car, you know. So uh, yeah, oh yeah. Uh, uh, so you ran that for a while, right? Now let's go back to your wife's name. Your wife's name is Michelle, correct? Yeah. Uh, so now was Michelle a car girl, a, a racer, or something, or, or did she? she no, nope, kind of like, she 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 was a a great sport. Uh, she came out to the races when I got the Camaro. As it got more and more serious, she'd come out and she would watch the chaos. And it was frustrating for her to watching all the chaos and trying to build all this stuff and make it work. And there was a segue in there that with the top fuel but she she came out to all the races we would camp in the trailer for the pdra races and i was the tail end guy and the first round fodder but you know i was trying to have fun and blowing stuff up and doing all these things and we were just cruising along with that and then one of the guys that i took with me all the time to the races that helped me with my car, I asked him, I said, Hey, have you been to a real race? He's like, I go to the racetrack with you, Scott. Hmm. I was like, no, we, we a real big NHRA race. That's what I call a real car. race. Cause we had Island Drake yeah. up here. I said, no, no, you gotta go to a real race. This is, you know, <laughs> this is not a real race. You know? And he goes, no. And I said, we're going to Epping when they come through in a couple of months. And so I bought tickets, arranged all this stuff, and we go up, and there's all the fans and all the things that we all know about the big NHR races. And you went well, there. You went there just as a spectator, no racing. I, no racing. I was I was a spectator. I brought my 
I brought my ProMod license with me. I had an ET and ProMod license. Okay. I brought my license with me just because pilots always bring their license with them. You never know when a plane shows up. Oh. You <laughs> and uh, so we were wandering around the pits. It was a Saturday qualifying day. That's what worked for him and I as far as the day that we could go see the races. And uh, we we're walking around the pit. Go ahead. No, is he a pilot also or no? No, he, he, he is a diehard hot rodder. He, okay. for the last 35 years, okay. had a 69 Chevelle SS396 four-speed that he's the second owner of and has it to this day. Okay, so, so I'm sorry I interrupted you. I just didn't know if it was two pilots walking around. Okay, so you're walking around the pits, yeah. yeah. We're walking around the pits, and we walk up on Doug Coletta's display car. He's got an older one kind of up on a 45 uh, display board, you know, suspended sort of in the air so you can kind of peer in and see, you know, fuel pump and look at the engine in detail and all that neat stuff. And Ralph, that's his name, he was commenting, he goes, this motor looks really a lot like yours. And I said, yeah, I said, actually, other than the blower and the fuel pump, there's a lot of similarities, very similar. He's like, wow, that's pretty cool. And at this point, you know, it was early in the day. So the qualifying, the, the qualifying for Saturday doesn't happen until the early afternoon for the fuel guy. So he's never heard one run okay. or anything yet. So we're still in the very discovery process for him. And I was like, yeah, this is pretty cool. I think I want to drive one of these. And he's like, you're out of your mind. All right, I'm going to just stop you for a second because Coletta is so big. He runs a funny car at a, at a dragster. So this is the dragster you were looking at with Doug. Uh, yeah, with so with Doug, so yeah, they had the J.R. Todd was driving the funny car, okay. and then Doug Coletta was driving the dragster, okay. and they actually and they actually had another dragster there, an older one that was on display that people could walk up and it was like you know the uh, the the petting zoo, right, right, of version, the, you know. right, 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 yeah, the kids moving the shifter and pulling on everything, yeah. 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 yeah, so it, it it was something that was probably new in two thousand eight or something like yeah, that. Yeah. That was theirs as a display, not the not the real one that they were working on in pits. And um, so I was like, I, I think I want to drive one of these. He's like, you're out of your mind. And I was like, no, I th- I think I do. So I try to go talk to Doug Coletta. He's covered in fans, and there's a lot going on in the pit. So I wander around for a while, and I Clay Milliken's pit is really quiet. They've got their car set but there wasn't anything happening they hadn't run it yet and so i was like clay and he came over and that was the guy in the that was the guy we saw in the video go in florida right uh wasn't that clay milliken and that that one from a couple of weeks ago yes yeah the older gentleman well clay's is in he's my age okay he's in his 50s okay Um, the thin guy the thin guy He's a skinny-looking guy. Yes. Yeah. And 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 so, uh, I like Clay. Um, I've, I've got my ProBod license. I'm interested in the learning about the top fuel cars. What do I need to do to try to get a license? And he's like, "Just talk with us." He goes, "You, you know, you, you've done the license and an upgrade procedure. The top fuel is just an upgrade." All you have to do is arrange it. And what we would do is, you know, we talk about it. And then on a Monday after a race, you, you would come and do the licensing runs before all the emergency people and all the people move right. on to the next race. 
and kind of go from there. And he goes, but Clay is not a taller guy at all. He goes, but you won't fit in my car. I'm six foot two. And now did you ever, did you know him prior to this? Nope. Never. So he's a salt of the earth guy. It sounds like. Oh, he, he was so approachable and so nice and so down to earth about it. He was like, what, what license do you have now? And I pulled out my license. He's like, Oh, okay. So all you have to do is an upgrade. And where and where is he? Where is he located? Where's his shop? He's in, in he's in Brownsburg. As far as I know, I don't know where he actually lives. That's, uh, that's Kentucky. Or where is it? I mean, uh, uh, Brownsburg is right near Indianapolis. Oh, Indiana. Like the Mecca, okay. Mecca okay. of all the drag okay. strip. Okay. Yeah. 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 Wow. Boy. But that's really nice. It's better than the FAA guy told you to look in a phone book. That's what you were going to yeah. say. Yeah. It, it, hey, you got a phone book, the, buddy? <laughs> yeah. Look under top fuel. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so he, goes, he goes, but you won't fit in my car. Go talk to Terry Haddock across the alley. Yeah, his car is. He does the licensing stuff, and it's tall enough that you'll fit in that car. Okay. I was like, okay, that sounds great. So I went over across the alley and t- talked to Terry. You know, sit there. You, you're real intimidated because you know they're there, busy getting oh, sure. crashing it. And so Terry was driving his funny car, and then he was leasing the dragster to Buddy Hull. Okay. And they were running both cars to that event. And so I got Terry and Terry was very busy and really focused. And he goes, okay, I'll talk to you. But after this qualifying run, come about an hour after we run, you're going to start sorting out the cars and I'll be able to talk to you about an hour after we run. I said, that sounds great. Yeah. So they start starting, they, they go about starting up all the top fuelers and Ralph is like, Holy cow, what have I gotten myself yeah, into yeah, yeah, yeah. Up just in the pit? And it's just this amazing experience. And I, he sees one, and then I was like, okay, he's kind of got the confidence. He's like, I want to get closer. And I was like, okay, stand right here, but you won't be able to stay there, there very long. Especially, if, so they bl- especially if they blip the throttle. Once they blip the throttle, twist your whole body. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's like, holy cow. I said, okay, it's time to make our way over to the stands. So we go to the stands. We watched all the guys run down and gals run down the track. And he's like, holy cow, there is no way you're doing this. And I was like, I, I think I want to try it. He's yeah, like, yeah. no. So we go and talk to Terry Haddock after a little while and go up in his trailer. And he's like, okay, well, tell me what you're about. I showed him a picture of the Camaro. And he asked a bunch of questions and, we, we kind of felt each other out for about half an hour and he goes, okay, well, if you would, if you're serious about this, give me a call in a couple of weeks, but here's what usually happens with these kind of discussions. First, almost no one calls me two weeks later and that's fine. Right. Of the people that do only maybe five or 10% come out to do a run. So we'll plan and we'll, we'll if you call me, and we set up a date to go do stuff. We're going to run at a track that's close to my house in Texas. And we'll do the partial runs that are required for the license. And we'll see from there. But what happens to the few people that show up to do the top, the actual runs, is they make one pass in the car. They get out. 
and they say, thank you for the experience. I never, ever want to do that again. <laughs> and I said, okay. I said, I'm in a, I've been for many, many years an instructor in airplanes, and I respect the instructor's point of view. So I understand how you have gotten to that opinion. I'm telling you, I won't be that guy. He goes, well, I hope to hear from you in a couple of weeks, and yeah. we'll just see how it goes. And so I called him a couple weeks later and we set up uh, another month or month and a half later, uh, the initial runs and, uh, <clears throat> um, buddy hole was there at the track, uh, XRP raceway in Texas, Texas, a little South of Dallas. Fort Worth. Did, so did, your, did your father go with that to you? Uh, he did not go to that particular event. Okay. So that, that one, I went on my own. Okay. And Michelle was actually in Shenzhen, China. So she was flying there and she was on a layover. So she would be texting on the international tech and, and all that while, you know, as I was getting ready for stuff. Now let me, I got to stop you for a second here. I got to stop you. I don't want to lose your train of thought. All right. So you go to the track. The last thing that you had on your mind was coming home from that event and going to get a top fuel license. How did you how did you break this to Michelle? Okay, so we we we've, we've had this talk with Terry. We're on our way back to the car at the end of the day, and he's like, "Holy cow! Oh, by the way, Michelle will never let you do this." And I was like, "I think she will. I think she'll be on board." And I, I so I'm all excited. I come home from the event. And Michelle's home, but she didn't come to the race yeah. track to watch. And uh, our 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 language to each other, Michelle and I, uh, if we've got a big subject to talk about, instead of just like coming in and saying, blah, 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 yeah. we say, Hey, yeah. <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow over breakfast, there's something I want to talk to you about. And that's our code language for please brace yourself. For, for one, or the, <laughs> <laughs> one or the other of us is going to bring up a really big subject. Yeah. 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 And, uh, uh, so spend the evening uh, bracing yourself. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, no, tell me about it now. And I said, we we have this agreement. We're going to talk about it later. She goes, no, I really want to hear about it now. Yeah, yeah. And I said, okay. So I tell her all about it. And she's like, okay. So there's like a team of people that work there and like, support people. It won't be just you trying to figure out how a top fuel car runs and they'll be helping you. Yeah. And I was like, yes. She goes, that sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Scott, by the way, I've got to talk to you about something. As soon as you're done with your licenses, I want to talk to you about something. I'm like, let's talk about it now. Yeah. And so after about 30 minutes of pulling it out of her, she says, well, I want it. You want to do a top fuel car. I'd like to get a little airplane. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, we agree that I'm going to do a top fuel car, and we are also, during that time, going to search for a little airplane uh, that she really loved in her past small airplane flying. And so we went out and got a Piper Saratoga. Okay. And, and I this, got a top fuel license. That, that, so where did she keep this? Where did she keep the Piper? Uh, it is just north of us. It's basically in Springfield, Massachusetts, a little okay. hangar at a re little regional airport. Okay, so it's a, so uh, how old was the how old was the Piper? 
It's a uh, 1998. So oh, wow, fairly new. That's yeah, new. That's new. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Great. And what was what kind of engines in that one? Uh, so it's got a Lycoming uh, 550 turbo. Okay. Naturalized. So it'll right. it'll go up to 16, 17 thousand feet. You make the same power. The wind. Yeah. 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 Well, and so all right. So so that so that, that so that's so that's great. So now you went you went you took you I'll, I'll call it the class. You went and got your did you get your license the first time? So the XRP raceway is an eight mile drag strip. So the only passes we could do were the partial passes. Okay. And so they got me in the car, got me all strapped in. They said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to do a simulated run and we're going to tow you down the track because you have to get used to this long car. And, you know, you've got the spoiler on the front. You've got the wheels behind you. All and right. you're, not used, you're not used to large things. And I was like, okay, I'm going to totally take this instruction because I, it is really good. My main, my nose gear is 20 feet behind me and my main gear is 108 feet behind me on AMD 11. Yeah. 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 So I will, I, I will extrapolate it. I'm not just going from a Chevy truck to a dragster. Right. And they're like, okay, that's fair. So yeah. they get me all set up. We go through the simulated burnout and then they tow me down the track at about 75 miles an hour. And I was like, okay, yeah, this, okay. this is good. We're going to go straight up. We're going to start this and we're going to make the first pass. And that first pass, man, it was educational. How it was it really? Awesome. Awesome. Um, I was a little slower on the gas. When they say stomp the loud pedal, yeah. you know, Clay Melican right. says that all yeah. the time. Yeah. There, there, there are two settings on a fuel car. It is on or off. Yeah. Not ease into it right, or right. fiddle around with the gas. It yeah. is. You break the gas pedal <clears throat> on the firewall or you pull up on the restraint that pulls the throttle back. There's nothing in between. Oh, there's a, restra <laughs> there's a restraint that pulls it back, huh? Uh, there, you've got a thing that goes around your foot okay. so that you can pull the back gas pedal okay. closed. Okay. Okay, yeah. wow. Wow, so that must have been now that hit right off. The, 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 I mean, so did they? Did they give you uh, an ET and a sixty foot for that? That the licensing hit, or they just they just look at you? There's no yeah. time. Oh yeah, they, they 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 do the time slips, and those time slips have to go into the NHRA for the license, the original time slips. So what did you run? Uh, it was it was probably a the eighth mile. The first one was like a three sixty at 210 ish okay and then the second one was a 340 at like 235 or 240 okay. yeah 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 now i'm i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna go back to the plane for a minute right if it's if it's okay yeah. is that i mean i've flown over i mean i've flown as a passenger all right in an airliner and there seems to be because i call it the drag race approach or the street race approach now when I get on an airliner and the guy's taxiing and he goes to the runway, some guys, well, sometimes the plane is there. It's almost like he's power braking it. You know what I'm saying? And he's sitting there and then all of a sudden, like he releases the brake and then the plane takes off. And other times the plane comes around the runway, the guy makes, the, he's taxiing, he makes the turn. It's almost like a street race, like a roll race. And he's rolling a little bit and then he whacks it. Well, what are those two types of takeoffs called as far as a plane is concerned? 
Okay, so the one where they're just rolling onto the runway and then and using the power up. Yeah, that that that's a rolling takeoff, and that happens in general a lot of the time. The one where they're on the brakes and they add the power yeah. and then release the brakes and it yeah. kind of shifts you right. back in the seat a little bit. Yeah, yeah, like a what, yeah. What they're doing there is they're actually bringing the engine power up and the RPM up on the engines to shed ice off of the fan blades and get the anti-ice system with supplied with hotter air to actually break off the ice around the engine. Oh, so there's a there's a there's a mechanical reason for it's not it's not so why so is the ice forming because the latent heat of vaporization even though it's warmer out or is that only yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so when when we ha- we have a temperature and a dew point, and so when it when when it's foggy outside, the temperature and the dew point are the same. The cloud is sitting on the ground. Right. Um, but as you bring air into the inlet of a jet engine, yeah. you you drop that pressure a bunch. Yeah, like the burn, when you drop the like in a yeah. carburetor, Ventura, you ice up. You run it. You run an engine on a dyno in the summertime. You could ice up the intake manifold. Yeah. It's exact same thing, exact same thing. And so that ice becomes an issue. Okay. And so the, what, the, what they're doing when they're adding the power, when it's sitting with the brakes that he's melting the ice, that, he's melting the melt ice. It, they're melting it. And they're also, they're slinging the ice. They're actually slinging off the blades with centrifugal force. There's, so there's two things going on there. Now, wow, it's very interesting. I just thought it was two different things because I called it the roll race versus the drag race. You know, because this yeah. guy's this guy's over here like in a line. He's going to pull up. He's he's got a he, he's got a bump box on this thing. I said to myself, but uh, but now who makes that decision? Does he? Does the pilot, the captain, look at the dew point and the temperature and decide that there's ice on there, or how does he know when to do that? Uh, yeah, you 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 when you're looking at the weather. And you get the automated weather that comes in that, that's like a it's basically an hourly report that okay. can be even more often than hourly, especially yeah. when the weather's bad and yeah. it's changing a lot. You know, if, if the temperature is 55 degrees or, uh, uh, let's see. I don't have to particularly give me the exact number. I mean, but but, yeah, but, but, yeah, but when it's colder and then you have that temperature drop with right. a lot of moisture in the air, right. Right. Ice will, the ice will form pretty quickly. And if it becomes big chunks, then you, you can damage some of the blades going in. But it, uh, the smaller stuff, it flings to the outside of the engine and it's, okay. it's not a problem at all. And, and and so what is the proper name you told me, but I was so excited. What was the proper name for that type of procedure? You, um, it's basically just a, a, a short engine run-up. It's you know you okay. run up the engines. Okay. We'll run them up to seventy percent in one. Okay. So that's about thirty-five hundred ish RPM. Okay. And and let them set get settled there for a few seconds and then take off then and let it just, rip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. So now uh, when 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 you. Uh, so you, you did your top fuel pass, right? You did your top fuel pass. You had that hit, right? You had that hit f- yep. from the 12,000, 13,000 horsepower, all right? Now, did you say in yourself, well, and then you got back in an airliner to go to, that airliner, the MD-11 to fly for work. Did the MD-11 seem like a peg off the line compared to the drag? Oh, my <laughs> goodness. I hit the throttle and just fell so, forward in the seat, and I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it was just. It was like, oh wow, this is 
going to take a while. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. the, the, the hit on the Driggs has got to be something compared to a, 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 a MD-11. That was like, oh, a, yeah, yeah. That's like a Greyhound bus leaving the line, you know? So Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, the, we raced the 1,000-foot with the dragster, and in that 1,000-foot, the best I've been is 305 miles an hour, which okay. is – it's not it's not burning the world down yet, but we're working towards getting faster. The the, the guys and gals that are going fast, they're in the mid three thirties in the thousand foot. When I get the MD eleven on the runway, we're at the end of the runway. There's actually markings on the right. runway every every five hundred feet. Yeah, and so we cross the thousand foot marker at anywhere from uh, if we're really light, maybe. 90, 95, 110 miles an hour. Wow. And then if we're really heavy, we'll be doing 50 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just lumbering down the runway. And we'll use 10,000 feet of runway to take off. I was, I was a number of years ago in my, my, my other life, and I was a magazine technical writer. Uh, I had to go out to California to Jim Fueling shop. I don't know if you ever heard of Jim Fueling. And <clears throat> we, uh, the flight I took uh, going out, they had to land in Colorado Springs and, uh, and then went from there to uh, Los Angeles, LAX. And then, but and, uh-huh. and coming home was the same way. But when I went out, it was at night. And then when I was coming home, I left LAX in the uh, in the morning. And anyway, make a long story short, we, you know, just it was, it was just a stopover in Colorado Springs. And the person sitting next to me was an old Air Force pilot. And then, so he's the one who told me about the markers on the runway, and the and they wanted to take people off the plane because I don't, I don't remember what kind of plane it was, but because the air was so because it was so hot and the altitude there, so yes. so so he's he's looking at the so he had the window seat and he's going okay we're at this marker this marker he goes this guy's gonna he says he says this bird better go up pretty soon because we're gonna be running out of runway so. <laughs> yep and I'll tell you I think he used every inch of runway to get that bird up in the air. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we do, we do performance calculations. Actually, there's the, that's another parallel with the drag racing, the, the top fuel stuff and the airplanes is we take a weather sample for our power setting with the airplane. And our goal is to actually set the very minimum power that we possibly can for takeoff. So to preserve the engine over time. Okay. okay. But we take in, in, the we we come up with a density altitude like a drag race are, call like a drag racer yeah it's yeah it's the exact same calculation yeah and, and so we come up with that calculation and say at this temperature at this altitude above with this barometric setting our density and density altitude is x and the airplane weighs six hundred and ten thousand pounds we need to have at least this power setting to take off on this runway and be able to fly with one of our one of our three engines failed okay so it's only one engine out okay that, that, that's what their calculations are based on that has to fly yeah. on it's not flying on one it's got needs three to fly when it's loaded three, three to fly and if we get basically it's it's a little more nerdy than this but basically two-thirds down the runway even if we're still on the runway the and an engine fails, it's safer to go fly around the pattern 
than it is to try to stop okay. on the runway. Okay. Those Hearst Air Hot brakes don't work too good then. <laughs> hot brakes and the um, grass. Grass is usually terrible for yeah. anything off the end of the runway. It's so. greasy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, all right. So now, all right. So you did this, all right? And now, whose car did you buy? So I, I got the, we did our short runs at the XRP Raceway south of Dallas. And then a few weeks later, we did another licensing run in Ennis uh, at Dallas Fort Worth. Yeah. And for that one, my father was able to join. Okay. And so he watched all this madness and he was like, you're crazier than any of your other ideas. Yeah. But this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. He loved it. Yeah. He loved it. That's great. That's fantastic. So now who's now, now you have your license. Now you got to go car shopping, right? Nope. So we had a problem with the car and we couldn't complete the license there in Dallas. So we, I had to go to Vegas after the Vegas event that year. And I finished my license in Las Vegas. And then I was basically on standby for the end of 2021 race with uh, Terry Haddock's car. Didn't get to race. And Buddy Hull was building up his operation to do his own top fuel deal. And so I drove in Pomona, Terry Haddock's car, in the opening 22 race. Oh, wow. And, and well, so that, and then, and then so, who, but it's still not your car, right? It's somebody else. It's no, Terry's car. No, I'm, yeah. So I, I, I was doing the rent a ride type program. And so Terry, Terry Haddock had, had me drive his car. So we did all the stuff, went, we tr tried to qualify. I did not qualify that event. And, um, Buddy Hull connected me up with another Terry, Terry Totten and said, Hey, Terry's hasn't had his car out for a year and he's looking for somebody to drive. Do you want to take a look at another car? And I said, sure. And Buddy Hull, who through this, he was with me through the whole licensing process, helping Terry Haddock, and he kind of fostered me over to Terry Totten's car, and so I went out and rented for four races in '22 from Terry Totten, and so the first event I qualified was Epping in '22, and I was up against. Steve Torrance, and so the very first time I qualified, I went up against the four-year champion, and so far that is my only round win. <laughs> but I did, I did win first round. And what kind of what kind of eighteen mile an hour did you run? Uh, it was a four oh five at two eighty, uh, but uh, Steve spun the tires hard off the line and couldn't get it hooked back up. So I just motored my way down there to a win. All right. And, so, hey, uh, a win is a win, right? A win is a win. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I, I rented the car for three more three more events, a total of four that year. And towards the end of the year, Terry was like, hey, I'm looking at this newer top fuel car. Why don't you buy mine? I was like, no, I don't think so. A couple weeks later, he goes, hey, I really like this car. It's really yeah. modern. This would be a good, inexpensive car for you to get into. It'd be affordable. You seem pretty serious about this. 
No, I don't think so. A couple weeks later, he goes, hey, buy my blah, 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 yeah, car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, okay. What year is the chassis? Uh, so the center of the chassis is a 1990, December 1997 McKinney, Merck okay. McKinney chassis. Okay. Uh, the front half is just a few years old with the new 58 tubing that's required for 2024. Okay. And then the back half behind the cockpit is just a couple of years older than that when they required the upgrade in big tubing. So it has all the modern stuff, right. but the center of the center of the car started at li- its life. Yeah. Uh, I, I forget who it was originally. Uh, I don't know if it was a Jim head car, okay. but it was, it, it, it debuted in the 98 season. So you bought it as a roller without the engine? I, I bought the whole shebang. Oh, with the engine and everything. Wow. Now did your wife, yeah. did Michelle have the plane already or not yet? Oh yeah. She had the airplane. Okay. And so we'd be flying the airplane. We actually flew the airplane to the uh, licensing runs okay. at Ennis Motorplex. And uh, so, yeah, she had the airplane. She was happy. I had the license and I was happy. And then we got into this buying of a car. <laughs> so so what year did you physically buy the car? Uh, so I bought it the end of after the 22 season before 23 season okay so you have just about a year now a little bit more than a year yes wow wow now so basically in essence uh the tune-up is the same on it everything is basically the same right then when when terry haddock had it correct so there's nothing (laughs) there's nothing much different as far as that's concerned so if he was running i'm saying this respectfully if he's if he ran more mile an hour or better et that's only because he was a more experienced driver uh so by the time i had finished the 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 last race at indy i ran a 393 at 305 okay and and the car hadn't been the car had never made it into the 380 oh wow okay so uh i think the fastest it went was 392 okay and what's its best mile an hour before you had it uh i I think 307 ish oh so you're right there oh yeah yeah oh you're right there okay wow wow and what is the what is number one running in et and mile an hour who's number one this year uh right now i think the best is i think britney force three maybe 359 361 okay. at three three thirty eight. they haven't broken 340 in the dragster yet okay okay so are the funny cars running a little bit faster as far as mile an hour is concerned so the the event that down in Bradenton, the PRO event, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Bob Tasca ran three forty one. Okay, I thought I thought it was a little bit more than a mile an hour. Yeah, is Matt yeah. Hagen? I lost. I didn't. I haven't spoken to him since we did the show together. He was a great guy in the show, and I know you listened to it. Is he still running this year, or did he get out? Oh yeah. Oh no, no, he's he's absolutely running, and so that I'll call it the trio of people. So there was. Matt Hagen in the funny car and Leah Pruitt right. in the dragster. And then uh, Tony Stewart was running the operation. Right. And so Leah and Tony Stewart are married. Right, right. And now Tony Stewart's going to drive the dragster this year. So it's going to be Matt Hagen, 
in the funny car and Tony Stewart in the Megster. And Leah, I think, is going to drive just a little bit in some all-star shootout. Okay. But okay. I don't think she'll be driving this season in the regular season. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Hey, and and, I, and what's his name? Schumacher died, huh? Yes. Yeah. How old was he, do you know? Uh, I think he was in his 70s. Okay, I no. think it was something something cancer-related. Okay. Matt told me, because I asked Matt, and uh, he said that, uh, I said, is that the guy who, is that the battery charger company? He said it was the battery charger company. Yeah, it is the battery charger company. Yeah, yeah, because I have yeah, a Schumacher. Schum- I have a Schumacher battery charger on wheels. You know, one of the good batteries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. This is this is fantastic. So, what are your plans for 2024? So, 2024, we're going to do three races, um, and over this winter, we have basically completely updated the engine, top to bottom. So wow. we we have a new new fuel pump, which is big, big, big deal that is right there. It, it was a Capco slash Palmer, Scott Palmer class fuel pump. So, um, it will run as fast as my budget can afford. Um, modern, uh, AJ TFX blocks, um, modern eight Alan Johnson heads, uh, got a blower from, uh, Dom Lagana. Okay. Of like Lagana, Bobby Lagana, yeah, 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 Capco, yeah. and all that. Yeah. So um, there's there's a remote chance that I'm running the blower that I beat Steve Torrance with. <laughs> wow, wow! And how much how much boost are you running on those? Uh, it's it's actually not as high as the Camaro. The Camaro is running about sixty two pounds of boost. These were running for I'm running about forty five, forty six. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. Maybe as I grow, quote unquote grow up uh, in yeah. in things, uh, the boost will come up a little bit more. So do you just change and the pulley to get the boost up, or is there some sort of bypass? Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's it's just, just pulleys. Pulleys. Now with the nitromethane, are you? I mean, back in the early days, I mean, they, they used to mix it themselves. You're buying it pre mixed, right? So was it like from? No, no, you're mixing no. it yourself. Yeah, we mix it ourselves. So when, at all the NHRA races, and we actually had a meeting today about that that went over the new stuff for 2024 Zoom meeting uh, earlier yeah. today. And uh, so Sunoco provides the, the nitromethane. Uh, we can bring our own or Sunoco will bring uh, methanol over for us. And we're limited to a 90% nitro, 10% methanol and the the nitro has to be purchased at the track for okay. purity and regulation stuff. And okay. we mix it at the track, and so we can do anything we want percentage wise. Um, uh, and so I've been mixing somewhere between eighty seven and a half and eighty eight and a half percent. Okay. Um, and I'll probably stay in that eighty eight and a half percent this next year. So it's eighty eight percent nitro and and thirteen percent methanol. Yeah. Okay, wow. Does any has anybody run pure nitro? No, we're we're limited by the regulations to ninety percent. But you can run pure nitro. I mean, uh, I mean, chemi- oh, yeah. Will it physically run? Yes. Physically run. I, I I think that in like some of the nostalgia nitro, yeah, they're yeah. allowed to run anything they want, and okay. they said that things things work better with two or three percent methanol. Okay, um, but I, I'm I'm not littered enough to speak right. on that. And with 
with any authority. I just right. kind of, I follow, follow the directions that are given right. to me. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, <clears throat> for you to determine that per, uh, the percentage, are you doing that on specific gravity? How are you determining? Yeah, it's on specific gravity. And so last year we were using like literally the beaker with the right with the uh, thermometer and the, yeah, and, and the float. Yeah. And and this year we've got uh, one of my Christmas presents from Michelle was what's called an Anton Parr machine. And that's what all the teams use. And it's an actual, it uses a little plunger thing and a, a uh, it's a digital readout. Okay. And so you'll, you'll stick it in there, take a couple of pumps of the nitro and methanol mix, and it will correct for temperature in and temperature everything in half a second and okay. say your percentage is, 88.65. And it gives it to you digitally. Huh? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Because yeah. I know there's, there's, there's bulb hydrometers for nitromethane also. You know, a lot of guys use. Now, some people mm-hmm. t- some people told me that they also use the hydrometer reading to look to see if there's water in it. Is that true or no? A, maybe if they store it and keep it around for a while. Okay. But the stuff that we get, the stuff that we get at the races, uh, they bring it over in a 42-gallon barrel. And that's basically two runs, okay. Uh, two two warm ups and two runs down the track, and so we we seldom have stuff left over, okay, just okay. because we go through it so quick. Now I'm not being nosy, but I know that there's uh-huh. probably everybody in the audience is is wondering, and I'm wondering too, even though I'm a old drag racer, right? What does the nitromethane fuel cost you a gallon to to buy? Well, we got we got our fuel prices today, and it's actually down this year. Uh, it's right around thirty dollars a gallon. Oh, so that's the two mixed together. That's your mix. No, uh, that's that's just pure nitromethane. So <laughs> methanol, methanol is four dollars a gallon or something. Oh, so it's the, the pure yeah. nitro is thirty-two dollars a gallon, and the four dollars a gallon for the methanol. Okay, already. Yeah, yeah. And what kind of timing does the motor want with the nitromethane in it? Would your blend? A lot, really. So, and that was another thing that was surprising. Uh, is nitromethane, I did actually did a little video on it because a lot of people ask, you know, why the two magnetos and why the flames out the side and everything. And it's I got really slow, curious. It burns slow as hell. Yes. And so I actually took uh, two little, uh, the round magnetic trays, and I put five cc's of gasoline in one and five cc's of nitro in another. Yeah. And lit them and did a, a little YouTube video. I put yeah. it on Instagram and YouTube. And it was it, it, the gas, you know, you got the, the flame within, you know, two inches of the gas lane and poof, yeah. and it's, you know, burns off relatively quick. I get over to the nitro and I put the flame in the nitro. You don't want to ignite. You don't want to ignite. Two. Yeah. Three. Okay. The flame's starting and then it slowly mm. travels around the dish yeah. and then it burns longer than the videos allowed to be because they have all these right right know, shorts and all this yeah, funny yeah, you're, stuff you're great. yeah yeah <laughs> and and so it's just burning off to the end of the video and uh so we're running you know in the methanol motors we're running somewhere you know on the radical end we were running you know 28 29 degrees of timing right these will run 50 really and above Wow. Well, now, uh, I was blessed many years ago uh, as when I was uh, in, in the midst of my writing career to do a uh, 
article for Hot Rod magazine on, on gasolines, and I was blessed to have to go up to Beacon, New York. It's no longer there. It was the uh, Texaco Additives International that actually moved that facility to your old neck of the woods, Texas, to the TAI lab, and I had it all to myself, and I had the head engineer and the head chemist from TAI, and all these guys did was design the uh, additives for gasoline. And uh, mm-hmm. it was Joe Rawdon and Mike Valentine. Joe Rawdon was a road racer. Mike Valentine was a drag racer. He had a super stock 67 Nova. And so they told me, because I wanted, you know, so they taught me all of it. Was, it was wonderful. It was just the two of us there was in the research lab for the optical engine. They'd always appeal quad four. Uh, based engine to measure flame speed with lasers it was unbelievable anyway so the thing is that they so when i said to them we spoke about nitro about nitro and nitromethane for top fuel because dry right we're going to talk about even though it's not that and he told me that that the that the nitro burns very slowly and he said that you could really qualify it as a negative octane rating is that true i yeah it's it's Still, one of the things that makes so much power with the nitro, I mean, there's several things that do. Is one, you can burn so much of it. Right. It produces its own oxygen. Yeah, right. It 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 won't detonate. It, right. In fact, it, it it almost isn't a hazardous material because its splash point is so high. Right. Um, you you can't start a car on nitro. Yeah, I to mean, start an alcohol. Yeah. yeah. Right, literally, we we just use generator gas, eighty-seven octane. Oh, really? Squirt. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's yeah. squirting in there. Wow. Well, now, yeah. how do they make the nitro to mix it? Do, do you have any? I mean, I obviously, I know you don't work for Sunoco, but is it made from? I mean, nitroglycerin? No, it, it's 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 nitromethane. It's something out of propane, and I. Okay. I should have studied up, but it, it actually started life out as a cleaning solvent and really? just kind of was it yeah, and it was an accidental discover wow. discovery. And 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 by the way, if you do spill some nitro somewhere and you wipe it up, it does a great job of cleaning stuff. I'll oh, tell you really? That. Well, year, years <laughs> ago when I was a young kid, my father used to clean all parts with gasoline. Hey, you did that, you go to jail. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. But, but oh, the, yeah. the old, leaded, old leaded gasoline, you used to buy the cheapest gas with a 63 Chevy 2 station wagon with a 194 in it, and they used to put golf taint in it. And he claimed he cried like hell when uh-huh. it, he when it hit thirty cents a gallon. But anyway, it's a different story. <laughs> but th- this has been absolutely, absolutely wonderful, and I think it's and you know what's what's so wonderful about your story is that it's grassroots, and your story is going to be so inspirational because the people I have on this show they're all inspirational in their own way so it's not like oh he's giving the same talking points it's not it's so inspirational because when I was a young boy and I don't want to steal a thunder from your show and I went to the drag race in 1979 English town my friend Glenn Nadell all right there was not a tractor trailer there all right, and now you go to the drag race, it turns me off because there's track. it looks like you're at a TA truck stop. There's more tractor trailers there than in the UPS parking lot. All right, so the thing basically is, is that, but you, and I want my audience to recognize this, you are 
a grassroots top fuel guy. You're pulling this with a with a fifth wheel trailer. You're pulling it with a Chevy pickup truck. You're f- building stuff in your garage. You're not that. What was that Arab guy who ran everything? Al Banani or something like that. Yeah, Al Banani. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The thing basically is, you are so grassroots. You are a complete turn back to the early days of drag racing and Don Gallitz. Well, thank you. Uh, and, and really, the, the my the tow truck, the the dually that we haul the fifth wheel. It has it, it is my daily truck. It is the tow vehicle for towing the trailer into the pits, and then we unhook it, and then we tow the car around the racetrack with it. But that's what they did back <laughs> four years ago. Oh yeah, yeah. Now you are a. I mean, this is so fantastic. I'm so, because you, because you are proving to a young man or to a young girl out there with your wife being a pilot and involved with this. All right. The thing is that you're proving that this can be done. If you look at your story, you looked at the airplanes. All right, up in the air, you watched them come in. You called up FAA and you know how do you go look at a phone book, kid? You know what I'm saying? And then you became yeah. a, he became a, I'll call it a jet pilot, an MD11 pilot, right? Of seven twenty seven, you became a pilot. You went to a drag race. Your first drag race, you threw the car in reverse and locked up the rear wheels and probably grenaded half the trans. The planetary probably went flying out. All right, and and now you 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 have a you have have a top fuel car i mean that's like a kid who likes football getting the super Bowl ring. yes it, it, it's it's really it, it's it's hard to imagine you know when we get in the car and we're, we're in the lanes and it's like holy cow we're we're really doing this i mean it, uh, it's unbelievable but it's un- yeah it, it's totally unbelievable and as an outsider as an outsider what is what is so i mean i learned so much from you i learned about the takeoff and the airplanes and the jets and whatever but most importantly and i mean this sincerely is that it's an honor a true honor to have you on the show but you are showing people today and you do and respectfully you're doing this later in life all right i mean you're not an old man but you're doing it later in life but the fact of the matter is is that you're doing it on your own nickel you don't have corporate sponsorship you don't have all this you're doing it on your own nickel for now and god willing you get those sponsors to help you along but you are showing the world that whatever you put your mind to in america you can accomplish absolutely it's it's a lot of hard work but you can do it you can you can and you did it in two venues air airplanes and drag racing yeah and 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 i there, there was a guy driving me to from the hotel in Dallas just a few weeks ago, and he he was like, "Can I ask you a pilot question?" And I was like, "Yeah." And we talked for about ten minutes, and he goes, "Yeah, I'm working. I've I've done my pilot, the written test for my private pilot, and I'm having trouble with this." And I was like, "Okay, here's my phone number. Call me. We're going to work this out." And he called me a week ago. And he goes, "I've got my private license." I wow, said, that's that's awesome. Now we're, now you have to call me when you have stuff to work on with your instrument rating. Cause that's the next license you're going to go get. Yeah. And he's like, okay. So yeah. now that's, so, that, that's wonderful. And like I said, I mean, I, I, you know, my sincere prayer is that, you know, this gets going that, that, that I think a sponsor would be foolish 
not to come on with you because of your story and because your grassroots. So many people today have gotten into the position of of big drivers, whether it's NHRA and NASCAR, and they're just a they're just a shoe. They're just a just a driver. They don't have the background that you have, and you are a grassroots story. Well, I I really appreciate that. Uh, one circle back story before. Oh we yes, end. I have it written down here. I have it written down. You have to come full circle about your friend that you're still in contact with. Yes, so I'm I'm racing when I'm renting Terry's car, lap, uh, 22, and he's an avid drag racer. He's with the Chrysler dealership, Bruce Everson. He he gave me a hard time because I wouldn't convert over to Chrysler and all this stuff. And he's like, you're not rich enough. You wear glasses. Right, 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 right. So is he older than you? Yes. Yes. Okay. He's, yeah, I'm, he's 62, 63. Okay. I assume he's a few um, years older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and so he's watching the NHRA drag races on, on you know, the NHRA TV. He's got yeah. the subscription. Right, right. He's like, he sees a Scott Barley on there. He's like, nah. <laughs> Can't and be. A couple, race, a couple races later. He's, he sees me and I'm in, I'm in Brainerd, Minnesota yeah, doing yeah. that race. And then it puts my face up there and he goes, that's him. That's and the so kid. He starts, he starts searching for me and he finds me on LinkedIn. Wow. And we haven't, we haven't talked since like 1992. Wow. So to just went, you know, separate ways, me offline all over the right, place. Right, and, right. He was, and he, he goes, Scott, really is this you and i'm like yeah and so we talk and catch up and he's like holy cow i've got to come see that i was like yeah you're working on my crew yeah and so he used a bunch of airline miles and he came out to uh maple grove in september yeah and he 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 helped when we were in the pit and he he wasn't a lot of help because he wasn't familiar with well, all of the top not. fuel right, stuff. Right, right, yeah. But, I mean, we were gearhead guys catching up from, wow. you know, the mid-80s. Right. And he's like, Scott, I am so proud of you. I First your career and then this. And how, this is crazy. I, I've been watching drag racing forever, and I had no idea how much work it was to get one of these things yeah. from the pit to go down the track. To go I A to B, A to B, right? A to B. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, so oh, he, he looked me up and then we met in Reading, Pennsylvania for a race. And so, yeah. And, what, 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 and, and just give us his name again, please. So uh, Bruce, Bruce Everson. Everson. E-B-E-R-S-O-N? E-Echo Victor. Oh, Echo Victor. Okay. E-R. S-O-N. Okay. Well, Bruce, congratulations. And that's that's wonderful that you uh, reunited your friendship. That's that is that is fantastic. And really that's what it's all about. I mean, it's oh, about yeah. the cause, but it's about the people. And uh and uh well well Scott, I think you got a brother in me that you didn't want. Uh <laughs> uh so this is absolutely fantastic. And you know, in drag racing, you want to run your PB, your personal best, right? And it's gotta yes. be high mile an hour low et right well you have the longest on the road podcast so far that i've ever done in history <laughs> all right so so that's a pb that's a pb all right? That, all right 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 now we're at two hours nine minutes and 38 seconds wow 
Wow, and and I could talk to you for another two hours, but I don't. I, I, but but I know that you have to. You have things to do, and we want to share. We want to uh, have you. You know, keep us keep us in the loop with what's going on with the car. And uh, you're blessed that Michelle is is so is so uh, interested in this and part of it. And you sent a picture of her guiding you back into the guiding you back into the to, 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 to the path on the, not the path the, the groove on the track that we're going to have on your landing landing page of the podcast, not landing uh, MD11. And uh, I think this is fantastic. And and yeah, no- and, and I couldn't do it. Absolutely could not do it without her. She works yeah. with me. She she. She takes all the chaos and helps me bring it down into something that resembles organization. And we talk over every decision with motor and strategy and how we're going to try to reasonably with finances yeah. make this where, where it's sustainable instead of go, I'll try to go, you know, burn the world down right. and our bank accounts. Right, of course, of course not, of course. But God yeah. willing, you get some. God willing, you get some good sponsors behind you. Because honestly, to tell you the truth, if I were a sponsor, which obviously I'm not, but if I was in that world, and uh, I do know some people, I could put some reach out and ho- hopefully connect them with you. Can't promise anything, but your grassroots story is what the hook is for a sponsor, and and bring value to a sponsor. Because that's what it is. Because in today's world, you know, there's too many talking heads. You know, there's too many talking heads. And the guy may be a great driver. He may be this and that. But he doesn't. And that's what turned me off to drag racing. I went to Englishtown, uh, Summer Nationals, a number of years ago. It was a beautiful, beautiful super stock AA uh, Hemi Cuda, 68 Cuda. Drop dead gorgeous. Gorgeous paint, gorgeous. A, a tow rig. I mean, a tow rig, a tractor trailer. All right. I mean, semi, right? And the guy's wiping the car down. And I go over and say, This car is drop dead. I mean, this car was perfect. I mean, gorgeous, right? Super stock A automatic. Best super stock class, right? So I said, Let me ask you about the car. He goes, I don't know anything about it. He says, they just hired me to wipe it down in between the races. And then the drive, then the guy who owns the car is walking around with a rental blonde, you know what I'm saying? With a Rolex watch, <laughs> you know, and that's what turns, and I said, I'm not coming back here again. These people are a bunch of phonies. That's not the drag racing that I grew up with, where the guy towed the car to the track, built the car, tuned the car, drove the car, slept in the trailer like you and your wife. I mean, it's fantastic. Fantastic. So Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. I want to thank you so much. I'm sorry I took so much of your time. But, um, no, it was great. It, it, was, it was fantastic. It, it was absolutely fantastic. We could go on for two more hours. And God willing, one day, maybe I could come and see your race. And, you know, good friends of mine uh, have a machine shop, their engine shop in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And the name, I did a podcast with them a few years ago. The name, it's Bob and Craig Wise, W-I-S-E. They're in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And mm-hmm. uh, they used to do all of, before Grumpy died, they used to do all of his block work and uh, mm. and everything. So <clears throat> if you ever have a chance, reach out to them, right? Tell them that, you've, you've, that you know, I had you on the show. Uh, Bob, Bob and Craig, two brothers run the operation. 
if you ever you know if you ever need you're down in maple grove you need somebody to and they're a real old fan i mean they, they have state-of-the-art equipment but in other words craig will go oh i can make that on a lathe just give me that you know what i'm saying we'll, you know we'll, we'll make whatever you need you need a you need a jet for that carburetor we'll make a jet for it and so it'd be a great resource for you and they would love to meet you and you would love to meet them and they have a drop in gorgeous shop i would love to talk to them because I, I i don't have any just because i'm so new in the northeast no place close that i know where to do the stuff that's a little out of my realm with the yeah. machine work no. stuff. And, um, and and they and they they're fantastic they're ground up uh ground up guys and you know and uh like i said they're i mean beautiful equipment beautiful shop just give them give them a call uh okay it's race crafters i'll i'll send them an email give them a call that you may call them one day and introduce yourself to them over the phone if you're ever down that neck of the woods but they're not far from maple grove so in case god forbid you need something and uh and the you know, oh a, absolutely a, yeah a good resource a good resource from you far from connecticut but a good resource from you and uh, and like i said there i'm going to tell you that their calling card is they used to do all the grumpy jenkins hot honing on his blocks they actually have Grumpy's old Sun machine, distributor machine. Oh, wow. So if you ever go to the shop, right, ask to see the Sun distributor machine, that was Grumpy Jenkins. When Grumpy died, Grumpy's wife gave it to them. Wow. So uh, be a great resource. and uh, and uh, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so give them a call. I'll send them an email, tell them that you're going to be calling them one day, and it'd be great. Well, listen, I'm going to let you go, my new friend. I want to thank you so much for for sharing your story, but I sincerely want to thank you for sharing. It's wonderful what you accomplished, but your accomplishments are going to be a, a, a catalyst for somebody, a young man, young person, not so young person, to say that in America they could do it also. You're going to have your struggles. Yeah. You're going to have to row upstream lots of times. But, hey, that guy did you a favor when he told you, FAA guy told you, look at the phone book, kid. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. And, um, yes. Uh, Listen, stay on the line. I always tell you, stay on the line. I'm going to play my eggs in music. I'm going to shut off the recorder. Stay on the line. I just want to talk to you for a second, if that's okay. All right? So. Yep. So hey, we're we're on the we're on the road to Scott Farley. Fantastic. I want to thank you all for joining me. The longest podcast ever. And where will be next time? We're gonna be in Iowa with a veterinarian. So thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.